What's good, devs? Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. This might be the last one, but also the realest one for me, as I can see, hear, and anticipate what it will be like next year. And the long road of diaper changing, feeding, living, and raising a little human being with everything I got, while still working at Epic, being a great husband, and still pumping out this podcast. So Father's Day 2022 in the books, 2023, I will join you hopefully. As well as Juneteenth. I looked it up and it's crazy, right? Because Civil War ended and the Emancipation Proclamation was in 1862. But it wasn't until June 19th, three years later, that word got back to Texas. And they commemorated the emancipation of enslaved people. So... You can look at that day as kind of like the last day officially in this country of, of slave ownership. It's my understanding, but I can always learn more. Major date celebrated this week. On top of the fact that June 20th is my partner Catherine's birthday. And you know Catherine's voice from the intro to this podcast. So if you see her or talk to her, make sure to send her some birthday wishes. Now, with that, hit my music. On episode 35 of the How to Play Area, the Game Developers Podcast, we sit down with Sean Alexander Allen, the founder and studio head of New Challenger and the creator of Treachery and Beatdown City for the PC and Switch. Before that, he was a capture artist at Rockstar Games in NYC, and he's a person I owe a big heap of props for bringing me on to give my first conference talk back in 2020 during these pandemic years on culturally aligned protagonist design. And that would go to light a fire up under me as in 2021, I would go on to speak all over the place. And it was actually where I manifested this podcast. We talk about the vision he has for the Game Devs of Color Expo and other expos behind it, what it's like coming up in NYC, what it's like having left there, and we go deep in on his development of Treasury and Beatdown City and what's next for New Challenger down the road. This was a conversation previously recorded March 30th. Please welcome from NYC, coming to us from Marietta, Georgia, Sean Alexander Allen. Let's start the show. Bienvenido, bienvenue. Welcome to the Out of Play Area podcast a show by video game devs for game devs, where the guests open up one-on-one -on -one about their journey, their experiences, their views, and their ideas. No ads, no bullshit. Join us as we venture far out of the play area with your host, seasoned game designer, John Diaz. So right now, you're coming to me from Marietta, Georgia. Yeah. When we've met, you was in NYC. You're a New York native, just like myself. When did you make the move? How has that been? What do you miss? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was a late 2020 move. In the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, it was. I mean, we like I actually, you know, I had a kid September 2019 and I'd found out that my, you know, my wife's middle sister. So the sister closest to her, they're like best friends, basically, you know, yeah. like, and uh, so her and her husband and her two kids. So yeah, my, my nephews or they, they were like going to move to, to Marietta because like my wife's family of some of her mom's family lives down here. And in 2019, we had a bookend of like 
my mom dying at the beginning of 2019, her mom dying at the end of 2019. And we were like, I don't have family really. My family is all like my game, my game industry people. Yeah. My mom was like my only blood that I could count as family. Yeah, man. Damn. I mean, that's a lot from both of you. And usually you have one to counterbalance the other. But in this case, you were both kind of at a big loss losing your parents like that. Yeah. Yeah. I lost my dad. Like, I mean, I've never known my dad. I've been piecing my dad's life together for the last 10 years or so now. But like, you know, trying new things. So it's like, let me be closer to, you know, her family. Also, her sisters were always like big supporters of me. Like my wife was like, oh, there's this guy in my life. So like they were all like, yeah, like we see you're so happy, like, you know, go for it, et cetera. So they're, they're great folks. And so I was like, yeah, I want to be close to these people. We have a kid, like, let's get the kids together, et cetera, et cetera. That's I was nice. actually looking at the Atlanta game space, which is bigger than the New York one in 2019, but then the pandemic hit, you know, in mm -hmm. early 2020. So I was like, Oh, well, everyone's remote anyway. So yeah. let me see what we could do. And no one really raised an objection to me leaving New York because there was no real policy at the time. And then we started looking for a house, got a house right before the housing explosion cost wise oh, happened. Fantastic. And, and so thankfully, like I grew up in a one bedroom apartment in Manhattan, my mom, you know, in poverty and mm -hmm. I now live in like a house with a kid. It's very, I keep thinking about the little shop of horrors bit. Huh. Where it's like the, where they sing, like they're in Skid Row and they sing that song about somewhere that's green and it's like living in the suburbs and stuff. And it's, it's interesting, you know, I'm like 38 years in New York city. I don't know how I'd be raising a kid in that city under the pandemic and everything. Like just getting out of the house to go to the park was like a 20 minute affair. Dang. Then you'd have to walk. Thankfully we lived near central park, which was cool, but like still it's like 10 minute walk, hang out. Then someone has to go use the bathroom. So it's like, go home. Like, and then it's mm -hmm. over. Like they so spend like a half hour getting there, spend 20 minutes there then have to spend a half hour. So like my kid can just go in the backyard and we can just hang out with her or uh, we man. walk around the subdivision. It's all very strange to me though. Cause like, I remember just even the other day, like I was just going over something in my head. I go over a lot of things in my head while I'm mm -hmm. walking and everyone's just like, Hey Sean, what's going on? What? They greet you. Yeah, don't you see that I'm like literally like I look like I'm like upset and I'm like <laughs> murmuring myself. And in New York, people just don't mess. How with dare you. you be friendly? But out here, everyone has to has to say hello. You have to wave to everybody as you're walking down the street. Human interaction is very special when you're in the suburbs, right? Like every person you see is one in I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes, if that. And <laughs> people like to know their neighbors. Yeah, you know, as opposed to New York, it's a, it's a totally different vibe. I can empathize a hundred percent, especially in the name of family, man. You know, like it seems like nothing but cool opportunities to bring up your child. And you yeah, know, no, she loves her aunt so much. And I think the, her cousins are, I think below her aunt, like, <laughs> cause like, it's funny. She just loves her aunt so much. And she hurt my wife's sister was like, was like a music teacher for kids a lot of times. So she has like taken care of lots of kids of different ages. That's mm. like the kids all play well together, which is nice. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's really nice vibe. And also just, yeah, the, all the outdoor time and all that stuff is just great. Is there anything you miss from the big city? I, I mean, I miss everything. I missed, I was missing the city during the pandemic though. Like, you know, everything yeah, you were, that I liked. But you couldn't get out to it. Yeah. 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 I think about how COVID is like this, like thing that has destroyed the ability to be people. It's interesting. Like it's like the height of New York was like museums and comedy clubs and concerts and hanging out with friends on like rooftops and this and that. And like, and then plus having a kid, 
just meant like me and my wife were literally like, you know, we were talking to someone in our building who was a child care provider for like night times. And she was like, yeah, I'll watch your kid at night, et cetera, et cetera. And we, you know, had daycare set up. We were literally on the cusp of like, you know, going on dates again and going yeah. into cultural things. And then the pandemic hit. So like when people are like, oh, I just want to go back to normal. I'm like, you know what? Screw you, man. Like I basically, you know, it was my kid was six months. Like my kid was finally, finally had the immunity, had the um, vaccinations for other stuff mm-hmm. so that she could actually like be around more people, mm-hmm. go be in daycare, be seen by a child care provider. And we were finally okay with it. And then it all shut down. So basically went from not having any, not having a life to not having a life again. So Continue. like, so we were six months into like not doing a whole lot. And so when people are like, oh, I'm tired of it, I'm like, well, I'm six months more tired of it than you are. And I still avoid most things. So mm-hmm. have you found a space down there, Marietta? It's not too far from Atlanta, right? So big city, not too far away. Yeah, we had to go down there for our vaccines because there was nothing available around here, which was nice because it was, again, like nice to go to a city and see like black folks in fashionable clothing because the suburbs are not known. <laughs> suburbs are very known for very basic clothing. Yeah, it was that swag, man. There was this shaky knees festival. Saw like run the jewels down there in a park. And that it's funny because like it could take me between a half hour to an hour and a half to get to downtown Atlanta. And that concert was during the World Series, so it took an hour and a half to yeah, get the there because of all the traffic. You had to learn how to drive. You didn't know how to drive. You I don't have don't to, drive to drive in New York. Oh, you ha- yeah. So you don't got your license, or you got your license, or what? I accidentally have a driver's license down here, which is funny. But my neighbor who has uh, three kids, because mm-hmm. again, moving from the city to the south, I was kind of like, how progressive is this and whatever. And Tim and his wife's house had like Black Lives Matter and. We believe these things and like matter is the basic whatever. So we were like, oh, okay, these are people we can hang out with and chat with. And so we made friends and they have like, you know, three kids that are like four, seven and nine. So they get along with our kid. They're very understanding of her being younger and because they met her before she could really communicate, like talking Mm -hmm. before two, you don't really talk much. Now she is a fountain of words, which we all appreciate. So like we became friends and that's what he drove me down to Atlanta. He's going to help me learn how to drive all. So that was good. Maybe any VR racing game simulations, get the pedals, get going that way. I've been joking about that for a long time, how I got trained to drive on cruise in USA. Like, <laughs> yeah, that takes me back. Absolutely. That's always funny. A lot of people don't believe me. And it's just like, yo, man, in Europe and a lot of these big cities with great public transportation, you don't really need to drive. You're actually shooting yourself in the foot by having to pay for insurance and gas and all this stuff when public transportation gets you around just fine. Yeah, we couldn't have afforded a car anyway. And who wants a car in 80s New York? Exactly. It would always be other people who would drive me places, which is funny because like my mom was a taxi driver in the late seventies. So like she knew how to drive, but (laughs) there's no reason to drive. Speaking of city fashion, Atlanta swag, finding it, searching it. Talk to me about your love of sneakers. (laughs) It's actually funny because like it's sort of born out of a hate for sneakers at first or sneaker heads, actually. Talk to me about this. This is interesting. As a kid, I could not afford sneakers at all, really, like until like high school, like financial situation changed and I could get like one pair of sneakers per year. And I I never got any of it. Like I like all the kids had like, you know, Jordan 12s or something back in high school. And mm-hmm. It was the black and red Jordan 12s that were 
Yeah, 96, 97. Yep. That was the year. That was his last Bulls run, I think. Yep. That was, uh, mm-hmm. and I was just like looking at them. I was just like, what are these? And I'm still a little perplexed by them. But fast forward to the future, like when I was with my ex and she had a kid by way of a guy who was a sneakerhead. And he wouldn't pay child support, but I remember like when I was at Rockstar, they made um, some Midnight Club Air Jordans. And oh. so this guy had the gall to be like, so, hey, Sean, like, how do I get the Midnight Club Jordans? And, you know, I'm a nice person. So, and also, you know, you can't really just explode on the kid who you take care of's dad. Like, and so I was yeah. just like, I'll look into it for you. Also, because I was curious, I didn't really know a whole lot about it. And then. I looked into it and there were apparently only four pairs ever made and the producer who came up with the initiative didn't even get a pair. So that's why I told them, but it was more like, you know, screw you, man. Like, how are you give money, give money mm-hmm. so that you're, so that you stop hurting my own family. Like, you know, you're supposed to be paying a couple of pairs of Jordans per month to take mm-hmm. care of your kid. Uh, and you don't. So, and I, I wanted to actually make like, I don't know, there's this game cow clicker. It was a I hate Farmville type of game made by this guy, Ian Bogost, who did a lot of like subversive games, writing and design. And he made this game called Cow Clicker, where you could click a cow once per day. And if you wanted to click the cow more than once per day, you had to pay. And people actually started paying to click their cow more than once per day. And he was like, what? And then eventually he was like, I don't agree with this because this is weird. I'm making money off of people where the goal was to like not get people to do it. So then he had like, it had a cow apocalypse or something where he killed the world or something. And people started writing like, how can I get my cow back? Like, what can I pay? I think you could upgrade the cow and you could like, you know, give it hats and stuff. And yeah, it was, <laughs> it was the, ridiculous. The essence of all, a lot of monetization in games today, man. But that that's crazy. It's like through negative reinforcement, People wanted to pay. Yeah, it was negging. Yeah. And so I I initially thought about like, what would people pay for like digital goods? It's funny because I've been thinking about this for a very long time. Very on topic in this day and age. Yes. It's annoying to me because like people are going about it in the wrong way also because they're like digital ownership. And I'm like, nothing is owned on the digital space. Like, but set me down a path of like thinking about wanting to make a game that had something around sneakers. And then I ran into the problem where, so I started buying sneakers just to see what it was like. And like as research? Yeah. It's funny because like Air Jordan 1's like, I don't know, there's like a whole thing about like, ah, oh, why do people all like these? And I'm like, I've just liked high tops like that for mm-hmm. a long time. Like whatever brand it was, like I had a pair of, I had this weird problem where I, this, this, this thing in my brain that still makes me mad. Like I was a kid and back when my, my mom went to a store, she bought me some high tops. I, th- I thought they were beautiful. They were like white and turquoise and they were by this brand Sergio Tacchini. Many people don't know what that brand is. And I didn't know what that brand is, but I didn't really care. I just liked the, sounds I thought Italian. the logo was sounds cool. exotic. Yeah. yeah. And I brought them to school and the kids just basically laughed me out of school. Like they were like, what is this nonsense? These aren't Nikes, blah, 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 yeah. blah. They're against the mold. Yeah. Turns out, however, those kids were all just behind the times because like Biggie, Where's Sergio Tacchini in a lot of his videos? Like, because he knew. And it's also big in like Africa. He was, he traveled the world. But it was also just like a brand that was more, that was actually just right off the side. Like it was in New York, obviously. It was Mm -hmm. just, it was just funny because I got them probably at like a store where they were not expensive and they were a discount brand. But like, yeah, like if you go online right now, like all that stuff, like tracksuits and everything is like, it's all expensive. That makes me mad because I was like, man, I was actually a trendsetter. And but because yes. everyone just 
I was used to being bullied for being poor and everything. So I just, it just took me and I just took those sneakers off and put them in a closet and went back to my thrift store Nikes that had holes in them until I got like some model Nikes that there, I ended up getting like the <laughs> Wayne Gretzky Nikes and they were great. They were 20 bucks and they were bulletproof. Like they were they had oh, like plastic on them horrible. that if you, if you kicked somebody with it, you would hurt them like tremendously. It was, yeah, it was like this turtle shell front that. It was cool. I thought they were cool too. And yeah, nobody bothered me again because I had new Nikes. Um, it's so stupid how like a brand like that. But yeah, so like I've always liked like that kind of that silhouette of just like mm-hmm. the thin, like simple, high top. Yeah. tall, high laces all up and down, kind of that clear sole. Yeah. So like, so then I started, I bought some AJ1 mids, not even knowing how much everyone, I've learned so much layers of like sneaker culture that, and I still don't understand a lot of it. Like, cause mm-hmm. There's like a, are they terrible or are they not terrible? People who hate the mid, like there yep. was a whole joke where someone was, he's like, I left three boxes of AJ one mids in my car. And when I came back, there were 20 more. And I was so sad, <laughs> like, <laughs> like someone broke into my car and left some more. And it was just like, like, I don't, I really don't understand it, but yeah, I bought these, it was like a purple and like bright pink, a bright blue, like sky blue pair that were great and this black with like infrared like i really love neon red like that's and the black had like a sheen to it that only caught mm. light some places and those are actually now both worth a lot more now is weird i uh. caught them on the downswing and that's the thing i've i bought those and then i started buying more and and then it's like now Dude. i have like sneakers below me i have sneakers uh. above me i have sneakers in my closet and i'm Ew. and i'm still working on a project but it's gone from like aggro to being like how can i make this also because i learned ever since i also had to do free-to-play design for a while and i think a lot about ethics Mm. and all that stuff and like how do you make something enjoyable to somebody because i don't think digital goods are forever because they're not i've had so many free-to-play games that have closed and i've lost all the stuff that i didn't buy because i don't buy stuff usually i'm i usually go the skill route and earn all the stuff but progression um, is gone yeah yeah, but like all that stuff disappears. So like my goal honestly is to, I, well, right now I'm just figuring out like something to do with sneakers and mm-hmm. in a, in a fun way and more of a culture reaffirming way, because I just really started to care about it. Like, <laughs> so, so your collection is at how many pairs? I don't know. Like, Lost count. <laughs> can be right behind me. One, two, three, four, six, five, six, six, fourteen. There's 14 up here. There's like three, four, so say, five there. There's say, more in a closet behind me. Like say 20, 30, one for every like day 30, of the month. 30 or so. I mean, that doesn't count the ones by the door. My boots also. Like I have like these really good eight Air Force One duck boot. Like Oh, the, the ones with like the spiky kind of like. I have those. I, had, I, had, I got that pair. I got a black on black pair that's now also hard to get and yeah. worth money. And I bought them when they came out because I was like, oh, these look cool. I, you know, I would buy those. I would buy those every year if I could, man, but they're hard to get now. Yeah. And then like in 2020 during the pandemic, I bought like these wheat ones because I guess, again, I think I was ahead of the curve too, because like that wheat color, you know, that nice, that nice kind of orangish brown, you know, Timberland yellow kind of thing, Yeah, Mm -hmm. but but a little, little warmer, right? Like Mm -hmm. that, that's caught on like clothing has been popping up in that and those popped up and I bought them. They were not sold out and then they disappeared and jumped yep. up in price. And they, it's actually took like weeks for people to be like, oh, is that's the thing I've learned about sneakers. It's like people will, 
dog a pair. Yep. I saw, I bought a pair of sneakers, the pair that I rocked for a while, these patent black, like with white bottoms, uh, AJ ones that I thought were beautiful. The first pair I bought was on sale at a sneaker head shop, extra butter in Manhattan. Mm. And I saw them and I'm like, they were like 20 bucks off. I was like, I think these are beautiful. I'm going to buy them. Then the next two pairs of them, because I bought two more pairs because they were went down to $70 a pair on clear. Oh my gosh. They're worth $300 now because everyone eventually was like, wait, these are actually really cool. And they were like three colors and Nike actually spent a lot of money on marketing them. They were like the whole Air Jordan, like something I forgot, like, like I forgot, like some sort of space thing with them. And they were like all these like space jump man things or something. Okay. I I wonder if it was kind of like a little like star speckled soul or something that was kind of clear lunar or something. No, no, they were just like this black, but like really interesting, like very shiny and the different, different levels of like sheen. Like one was spark, more sparkly and one was like more stark, just black. And Mm. yeah. And like, I have one more pair I've, I've broken in the second pair and I have one more pair that's still unworn. And I'm like, and that's the thing I hate about sneakers is that like, it's like, I can't replace them now because I'm not going to spend $300 on a pair of these. I wish I would have like bought 10 pairs of them. Cause that's like, the thing you gotta have, you gotta have everyday sneakers that you like. Mm-hmm. And now it's gotten to the point where a black and white pair of Jordans is hard to get. And that's stupid. Like you just like, why don't you just make like, just please make some pairs that are nice that I can just buy in a store like Timberlands. Like imagine mm-hmm. if they were like, Oh, this color just never exists again. It's like, but that's the standard color. They're like, yeah. You have to catch it next year and there'll be $300 because we're only going to partner with like billionaire boys club. Or something. That's that's basic economics, right? Supply and demand and create a scarcity, right? But I'm with you. Like, I like the fact that there are certain shoes that they keep making the same model, same colorways. You're always guaranteed to get them, but they want to sell new ones. I, I, I Would you would you now consider yourself 30 pairs in? Would you consider yourself a sneakerhead? Oh, absolutely. Think, <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. I, it's like, I think okay. about them. I you dream about, well, I mean, that's actually like, I'm telling stuff behind me. Like I have like a pair of like, I have a pair of the like Lego Adidas shell top ones that had like, like the stripes are like jagged, like, cause they're like uh. Legos and they, I think they are made out of Legos type things because they have a partnership. And then I also have the Lego set of the, <laughs> also I have like, I mean, behind the me, Lego the, set and I have the like shoe. a, I have the like the off-white um air jordan one like that like yeah. some other brand made they put together versions of those because i just wanted to see what it was like and they made you give you a little figure that was like jordan it has like a 23 yeah. on the back and I'm, i don't know it's 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 funny it's it's interesting culture like i think a lot about it you know i'm still selective obviously mm-hmm. and also you just get a lot of l's on the sneakers app and wherever so it's kind of like like I've, I, I think you don't become a real sneakerhead until you really are hyped about a pair, mm-hmm. and you can't get it, and you're just upset, and then you go out of your way to pay a hundred dollars plus over for the pair, and then you're like, okay, I finally feel like my soul is <laughs> yeah complete yeah, yeah. now that I have this pair. That's when you're that's when you've ascended to like sneakerheaddom. I am super. Yeah, I look forward to seeing this game now, knowing where it's been incepted from and the years of research and and transformation that the, it's undergone. And you know, you and I have talked a lot about culture and games, and and th- you know, I've even kind of thrown out the idea of having like a sneakerhead panel at some conference, right, where we can just kind of throw our feet up and talk talk shop 
in a table or something like that. Something I've heard you talk about that I'm particularly excited in one day is throwing a hip hop and games panel. Curious what's on your playlist these days. I mean, the one sad thing is that like I listen to way less music these days because I don't travel anymore. I used to listen to a lot on my commute because it's like yeah. a lot harder to listen to music with lyrics in it when you're writing. I'm with you. I'm with you. I need to listen to like instrumental stuff. Absolutely. Lo-fi stuff. That's actually like polluting my Spotify thing because I. <laughs> it messes up the algorithm. Yeah. And I'm like, I honestly, they need to, the thing they need to do is they need to create a exclude from history like mm. thing because like i listened to the entirety of like the phoenix Wright soundtrack for like there's like a piano sessions of it that i love yeah that was i think the piano sessions of phoenix Wright is my number one played album of 2021 which is stupid that like, means think, you're working you're working a bunch yeah exactly and like and like like classical music and like ben prunty who did ftl and into the breach like the game soundtracks like i love his music so much i've loved it for years and also like i buy a lot of this music i don't necessarily you can't actually buy a lot of japanese game soundtracks for less than like 50 to 80 dollars so i'm like yeah so i don't feel bad about streaming them on spotify but i actually you know i buy a lot of the albums by the artists actually that's how i traditionally learned about people is the like i just listen to a bunch of music and they'd be like here's your release radar and here's your recommended weekly. And I used to just grab them, dump them into a playlist so that I always had it and then go back and like check out the artists and be like, oh, am I a fan of them? Am I not a fan mm -hmm. of them? Interestingly enough, the album I've been listening to, which means I've listened to like two or three times in the last week was uh, Denzel Curry's new album. Oh, I love me some Denzel Curry, man. And I got to him because of Release Radar, like mm. him, him and a bunch of other people. I went back to listen to Flatbush Zombies. 3001 a laced odyssey because i love that album damn i missed them they came out here during the pandemic when i was like man i don't know if i'm ready to go go yeah. into a, a show but i, I would have risked it I, if i was living by myself i would have masked up and risked it to see them live because you know they might come out here once a year if that but i opted to miss out i've been so. listening to a group that's kind of kind of not hip-hop is uh this group called horror how you spell that? H H O nine nine O nine. Even though, yeah, they're horror. So they're like a they're like a punk metal rap group. It's like these two black guys. It's funny because both on Denzel Curry and their album, they feature Saul Williams, who's a favorite musician slash artist of mine. And I thought that was like wild because they're such different albums. And yeah. and horror's album also has Corey Taylor from Slipknot on one of the songs, which was also really cool. I'm, I'm always like high school me and like current me are both like just geeking out over this album that i've been listening to horror for a long time they i saw them play like a live set at a uh, afro punk a long time ago mm. and i've just been obsessed like it's interesting because they like they clearly you know have like awesome bars yeah at the same time like just like shouting and like punk sensibilities and just loud guitar and electronic like industrial stuff going on and it's just like really chaotic and really controlled simultaneously so mm. i just i love them well, i mean depending on who you talk to right you can see there's a thin line between punk and hip-hop where yeah. it's like you know anti-establishment like going against the grain complaining about the the status quo you know just in different forms well, they talk a lot about that, you know, when they talk about CBGBs and like the, the merging, because like a lot of rap groups like Africa Bobato would be down there. We, we got introduced to the people in the East Village where I'm from. Like, it's funny because like I, you know, I keep thinking about how like my dad played CBGBs in the late 70s. And I'm just like, I wonder how much, you know, overlap there might have been at that time. 
what he might have thought about the scene. Maybe he hated it because he was a yeah. rocker. Maybe he loved it because I think a lot of people were, you know, were really getting into the like, so, I mean, punk and rap were, you know, they were always adjacent in Manhattan because people, yeah. people bring it down and bring punk up and, you know. Yeah, it's like downtown Bronx, kind of Brooklyn comes in the middle there. Blondie, right? Like, it's really strange because the first rap song to hit the mainstream was Blondie Rapture. Right. Where she's like rapping that it's like a white lady song. You are educating me right now. Yeah. That was like, and she talks about Fab Five Freddy, who was like, you know, the guy who was instrumental in merging. They call like, you know, East Village and stuff like downtown. And then like uptown was like Harlem in the Bronx, basically. Mm-hmm. So like he would bring, you know, rap down there because he was all about like art and everything. And that was like where that scene was. So, you know, it took certain like people who were go Holy shit to bring everything and yeah like so rapture was the first rap song to be played on mtv so it's like rapture's delight 79 yeah rap rapture yeah 81 Holy i don't know if, i don't think rappers i don't know if rappers delight got to mtv that was like the thing like rap rappers delight was big but mtv yeah, was but like they, super racist like so they were like <laughs> i mean everybody to- knows this like well yeah they, they only wanted to feature like rock bands right like like uh, what do they call it man like hairstyle rock bands or whatever. Yeah, we could talk about this. Yeah, we, we could talk about this for a minute. I love it. I just had to take advantage for my damn self, right? Like it's it's rare that I get to get into these topics with fellow NYCers. You know, I, it, I have to tap in so that I don't lose grips as I move around and live on the West Coast. But game dev, bro, I met you through game dev. You've kind of changed my perspective on a lot of things. I didn't know that the New York City game development scene was what it what it was and what it was becoming. And here you are, not by choice, but I recommend to everybody, you know, get out of the city, stretch your wings, see how other things operate, and then bring back whatever you find at some point in time. So you're down in Marietta in the South being around family, living in the burbs now, but now you got some property, you got office space, super proud, super happy to see that. Tell me about where you are today. What are you doing? How's the company? Yeah, as of the 18th of March, 2022, uh, it was my last day at MLB where I was there for six years. As when you own your own company, it was my first day back to full-time, like working for my company, New Challenger. New Challenger. Yeah. But New Challenger's been an LLC for a minute, but now you're saying you're full-time. Yeah, it was a, it's an LLC since 2012, actually. This is 10 years. Like, in the middle of 2012 was the end of my tenure at Rockstar, and then I had to start this LLC. And we're actually in the process, because you can't merge an LLC from New York. You can't convert it to be mm-hmm. a corporation or anything. So we're figuring out, we're in the process of merging the LLC with the corporation, which was started this year also. So Interesting. Uh, because we're, cause you need a corporation in order to like, you know, get investment and stuff. So that's, that's what I had to do to, to, you know, get money to continue the company and to be able to take, you know, my life into my own hand, essentially again. Educate me, Sean, LLC and a corporation, isn't it limited liability company versus like yeah. incorporation? Is that those two different things? Yeah. So we're a C corporation. It's, it's interesting. Cause so like an LLC is a pass through entity where all the money that you earn is on your own tax return. Uh-huh. So like, you know, if you earn a hundred thousand dollars for your business, mm-hmm. that's what you get paid. That's like goes on your thing as like a, I earned this amount of money. You know, if having that EIN is helpful because then it's like, okay, well, you're actually a real business and not just a person pulling mm-hmm. in random money. 
even sole proprietorship, they still kind of like how copyright, they recommend you filing a copyright, even though you own the copyright and anything you make, because it's easier to contest. Similarly, it's easier to just like deductions become like the big thing when it's like, oh, you have an LLC, you get deductions. And so like a lot of the stuff is like, you know, cause then you pay people, you pay for things, you pay for stuff. It's a lot easier to just be like, oh, my desk, oh, my lighting, oh, this business is all expenses. for my business. Yeah. Whereas, you know, when you do a company, pretty sure you have to like invoice the company if the company's paying for that stuff, but it's not as easily tax deductible if you're working for a corporation, like as I was working for major league baseball, a corporation. So yeah, it's just like, you know, different. It's more like invoicing, you know, have to have more paperwork, even though I'm technically the president of new challenger, you know, if I go on a corporate trip on an LLC, I just pay for it. And then that's a, a line item on my taxes. Whereas yeah. like for like a corporation as a flight, you'd be like, okay, well, I invoice the company for the money for my flight. They give me the money back. And then they, even though it's still my company, sure. I mean, and also now I have like co-founders who also have shares and their shares and everything. Okay. Like you could, you have shares in a corporation, but an S corp is different than a C corp in that an S corp is just a tax designation of an LLC. Okay. It's, it's really annoying. Uh, I've had to look into it, but like an S corp basically then removes the, uh, the tax liability from you. Like it's no longer a pass through entity. Okay. So it's now like you, you file a separate tax return and that's people do it. I don't know why. Cause I never really looked into it. Um, okay. But you're a C corp now C corp, which means, yeah, we have, we have shares, we have like bylaws, you're supposed to have a board. The board's one person. It's me right now. We mm -hmm, have a secretary, mm -hmm. we have president, you know, we have an official you have to have official people that do mm -hmm. certain things. And there's like key, what are the key roles in a corporation then? Like, I, cause I know, you know, there's CEOs, CEOs, CCOs, CTOs, all this, but like in reality, you only need what, like three, there's three key positions that have to be filled. Well, right now it's like president, there's like secretary and maybe something else, but like, I don't know, right? The key two things are president and secretary and both okay. of those could be the same person. Uh, CEO, okay. C, all those things are just designations that you set up in a company. Like you don't mm -hmm. have to have any of them actually. Like, but you know, I'm always confused by CEO because it's like chief executive officer, but like, I feel like that role changes based on a lot of times that's basically like I shake people's hands and they give us money or, <laughs> you know, we do business, you know, we mm -hmm. do fundraise. It's and for like a nonprofit, it's different than for a for-profit. It's a, uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. And, yeah, I don't know is a valid answer for sure, but you're the president and you have a separate person as a secretary. Yeah. And that's new challenger. Do you have the time to develop or is it still kind of biz dev mode at this point? It's, it's a lot of everything, but you, you know, me, I'm, I'm, you know, I work doing game devs with color expo. That's one thing. That's what I always say. I always have say I have like three jobs now that I don't have the full-time day job. New challengers now my full-time day job and my evening job. How does that feel? How does that feel to be able oh, to say that? To it like, feels amazing. I was, I did it for about a year and a half from between rockstar and having to get back on the, the job scene. And you know, it's, it's, it's hard having a day job and having to do all this other stuff. No, I imagine it's not where your heart is. Yeah. It's uh yeah, my heart was not definitely not in my day job, you know, but then again, I also throw myself at anything that I'm doing. So like I need to be the best at what I do wherever I'm at. So that's also another thing is it's like that becomes frustrating because then you run into issues where people are okay with mediocrity and mm -hmm. you were not, and that becomes a. A culture clash and mm -hmm. so that's definitely happened to me in the past but yeah so like now it's just good to be like yeah i'm a new challenger and i'm also doing the game does with color expo two things i greatly care about and yeah so new challenger is like 
it's dev, it's some biz dev. It all kind of happens simultaneously. It's, it's definitely exhausting. I'm actually two of the first things that I'm looking into, like, cause now I need employees so that I have health insurance. Cause like in order to go with one of these companies that can get you better health insurance than the ACA, you need to at least three employees. So salaried people, W2 people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm one <laughs> that I need uh, to find two more. So the secretary but, doesn't count. Marlon, right now he's not employed. He's just the secretary in the, like the bylaws paperwork. and owns stock in the company. Okay. But like until he has a job, he doesn't get paid. Like nobody gets paid until they have a job. Like, cause we have like the secretary who will also be probably the, like the COO. And then I have a CTO who he has a full-time job. Is that going to be the first spot you look for your your tech engineer person yeah like you need to find engineers i need to find a producer who trying to build like an interesting role because like i actually i got a lot of producing experience from being like put in an ap position and i'm trying to look for someone who can fill like an ap role who can help me because i'm still doing treasury meet down city stuff but also have the next thing so it's like i need somebody who can take over that because there's just like managing to get the build getting the build looking at the build being like, this works, this doesn't work. And then just handing that back to the person that can take three hours sometimes. And that's like a third of my day, right? It's like, so if I could not do that every time, that would be super helpful (laughs) because I also have a whole other game to design. (laughs) Yeah, the the follow-up. How do you follow up that bad boy? So in your day-to-day as president or as partial biz dev, you managing treachery and beat down city you're trying to dedicate some cycles into the next thing that may or may not be a sneaker focused thing what's your like key tool set what are the things that help you do your day-to-day the sneaker thing is the next next thing it's something i'm also working on but like the next thing is going to be more combat focused and i'm looking forward to announcing it see i would so. expect that i would expect the whatever you do next to follow up that sweet combat system i'll be hinting a lot been watching a lot of movies and stuff <laughs> and right. getting a lot of books that, that if someone looked at my Amazon purchase history, they'd be like, oh, I know what this guy's working on. But oh, okay. Okay. Some hints. I, I mean, I use Trello. I still use, that's like my primary, like tracking stuff. Did like, you come across Trello? I'm curious because I, in your postmortem for Church Free and Beatdown City, you talk about going through a learning process of like, man, how do I get organized and how do we do our task board and stuff like that? And so, so was Trello kind of your solution for that? Game does a color expo, which has moved on to Asana, which I need to understand all these tracking things just bugged me out. Like I've been using Jira for the last six years and I was still never able to actually get a solid answer for how to use it by like anybody that I worked with who was also a producer. Wow. The annoying thing is that people walk in and be like, no, but this is how you use a thing. But if you ask three people, how do you use a thing? Like how do you use epics in Jira? None of them will give you the same exact answer. Cause I'll be like, well, what about subtask? Can't you just use a subtask <laughs> instead Facts. of making a, an epic? There's so many like things that people can't give you an actually answer to. And because they just use it and it just makes sense to them. You can easily start a war over the epic debate for sure. Yeah, so Trello like was helpful because I looked at it. I'm like, I don't know what to do here. And we were using Google Sheets and just listing stuff and that didn't work. And so Trello was like, the, the key thing was like, let's make boards, like let's make a backlog and then like make boards. At one point it was just bugs marked fixed slash implemented and then marked verified. 
And okay. but then it became like, well, our game has UI, it has enemies, it has music, it has all these things. So we have lists for basically everything, as well as like our console ports that are going on right now. And then those get, you know, moved into in progress and they get moved into, and it was just like, I didn't know that. So, sounds like Kanban style kind yeah, of exactly. thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was like, all, but like, it's all about how you set it up, right? Like, and, yeah. and nobody says, Hey, here's a way. So with the game does a color expo, those folks knew how to do this stuff better than I did. Cause I had never set up a Jira by myself. It was always set up for me. I didn't know that secret that it's all up to you on how you set it up and that yeah, that's the fine the way that you do it as long as text. it works for you. Because everybody acts like these things, they all feel very opaque and like, this is how it goes. And you're just like, yes, that's how it goes. But you have to set it up that way. Like it doesn't give you a template say, or maybe they do, but you got to pay like some weird amount of money and you still don't even get the features you want with Trello. Like I want more colors for labels. And they're like, no, no, you don't get those. I'm like, but there's like 16 million colors. Like, why can't I have more colors? They're like, I don't know, but you can't. And I'm like, so Trello, like Google suite, like that's been really core. I'm still confused when people give me an Outlook file, like a Word file or something (laughs) with a docx. Because I'm just like, they don't import nicely. Nope. That's crazy. It's crazy how Google has kind of like superseded Microsoft Office, right? Like their iron hold over the business space. So Trello, G Suite. Photoshop. Oh, Photoshop. Photoshop, Illustrator. I'm probably one of of the only pixel artists that uses Photoshop. It's really frustrating, but it's the thing I learned on and the thing I know. And when I try to use other things, I'm like, what do you mean you can't save layered files? So Illustrator I use because like, you know, vector art logos. I do all my own logo design right now. I don't want to keep doing it, but it's what I've had to do. A sketchbook, which was before it was Autodesk purchased and made free. Uh, it was like 30 bucks a year or something or 30 bucks total. I don't know. And it was great because it's like, I really like that it has like a, a kind of light marker just on the base. Like, it's just like, you can just color Pressure stuff levels. very quickly. I do it for like production art mostly. One day when we do our art book for Treachery Beatdown City, there'll be a lot of the sketchbook stuff. It comes with a nice pencil right off the bat. Like I went to art school, so I'm very picky about like, how hard a pencil looks on a thing and how like sketching feels and it actually yeah. feels really nice. So, and it's pre-configured that way versus like Photoshop, you'd have to figure out like what brush and you know, they give you like in sketchbook, they give you a pen and a marker and like a yeah. paintbrush. That's like, they have clear delineations. Whereas Photoshop is so customizable that you have to basically find someone who knows good brushes and then download their brushes. Whereas yeah. sketchbook just starts in a good place. That's easy to work from. Do you draw on like a Wacom or a yeah. tablet? Okay. I've been rocking a Wacom tablet, like the plastic joint, not a screen. Since like 2003, 2004, like when I was in school, they were able to get like us a discount on them. How much did it run you at that time with the discount? I don't know, like 200. 200, that's fair. Like that's a medium. Fair. Like they're like 400 for the medium. You went to school for computer art. That's where these artists fundamentals come from. Yeah, like I had a Photoshop class and that was the teacher who, like her website used to be photoshopdiva.com. She was like an alpha tester on Photoshop. She used to do photo compositing with photos, like cutting the negatives and putting them together and then exposing them to make like new photos and stuff. So that was helpful because like just literally, like even though I understood graphic design and I thought I understood bits of Photoshop, 
she taught like so many like low lying things that, you know, I use them to this day. Like I, I'm still the resident retoucher in my house. Like we tried to get wedding photographs like retouched and from the company that like was recommended by the people who we got our photographer from and mm -hmm. we could not tell them how to do it. Cause when we gave them notes, it just came back bad again. So then I was just like, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's that saying, right? You want something done, right? Got to do it your damn self. Yeah. Jeez. Your academic training is in art and here you are. That's like your, your key go-to tools, but you did a bunch on treachery and beat down city. It's funny hearing you talk about the pixel art because yeah, it's got a really, what I say, nostalgic or retro look, but then to hear that you probably did it all yourself makes total sense, right? Like using what you know and bringing that into your project. It took a long time. The first thing that we made for the game was, it, well, we started making these little people like that was like, cause I, I had this idea for like a grandiose, like even like a small, but still way out of scope, like side scrolling 3d kind of look that was going to be like street fighter four. I was like, oh, and, and it's true. Actually a small team can pull that off. Now it would take a long time, but it's actually happening now. Small teams are now coming out with, like, I saw a trailer for a game that used, like, Arc System Works's uh, cell shading technique in a fighting game that just looked really good. But but at the same time, like, I wanted to experiment. I wanted to learn, like, what to yeah. do here. And, like, because a lot of people are like, well, why did you do it? And I'm like, well, Double Dragon on the Nintendo, very specifically. Not the arcade. Never actually played the arcade as a kid. NES Double Dragon. Yeah, and Bad okay. Dudes on the Nintendo. Yeah, those two games. I just really like the, like, reduction in fidelity. You know, it's expressionist in that sense where it's like, what does a mouth look like? What does it, like, you know, Super Mario, I know they talk about that they did these things because they showed off better, but, like, Shigeru Miyamoto's an artist because if you look at other pixel art of the day, most of it is not as good as his art. Like, he had color and... Like him with uh, Tezuka, Takashi Tezuka. Yeah, he was the other artist. He worked with Miyamoto side by side. Doesn't get anywhere near <laughs> the acclaim, right? I mean, I don't, his name definitely does not bring as much as Miyamoto's. I don't, yeah, I don't know Either. if he was the artist, but there was also another guy that did a lot of the key art, like that Miyamoto didn't do all of it. But just looking at how they did it, like they just clearly had a key idea of color and composition sensibilities that other people did not. And they also had the ability to have like, you know, a few colors on screen, whereas so, you know, they use their technical limitations, but they made beautiful art out of it, right? Like, yeah. you know, they programmed the music to hit on specific notes. And even though that was like a limitation, this is why the game's beautiful. And yes. so like the, the thing about current pixel art, a lot of times I feel like people don't think about it like that. They think about like, let's make pixel art as opposed to let's make art that is pixels. Yeah. That's your, what are, what are your constraints, right? What are you trying to bring to life? And it's got a great look. Yeah. And at GDC last year, I actually gave a talk that was like animating a complex fighting game, three frames at a time. And it's still not anywhere. It's not on YouTube. It's still behind the gate or whatever. Hey, wall in the vault. I can still link to it. Yeah. And it's like, I talked about how there was a point where, cause everyone does all this like really bouncy pixel art. And like, I hate it because like, I think a lot of it's not actually good animation. It's just moving. Mm -hmm. They're idle. Like Street Fighter 3, great looking game. A lot of games don't understand what was good about it though. And they bounce everything. They're mm -hmm. like, oh, you got earrings or oh, you got hair. Oh, you, and I'm like, you can't just bounce everything at once. Cause then it does like, that doesn't, that's not how, that's not how shit works. Like mm -hmm. really in real life, like your hair doesn't bounce the same way as your body, but people just do it because a reason. So I was like, well, my game's stark on its own and i kept thinking like do i add more and i was like you know what i'm actually gonna figure out how to do more with less and i'm gonna limit everything 
if I can't do it in three frames, I might not do it. And sometimes we went over if it was 100% necessary, like grapples would be slightly more complicated. But we used a lot of Street Fighter 2 sprite flipping techniques because like they would do stuff where a hurt, a hurt character's frame would just keep moving in like 180s in order to like, while like Zangief's grappling them. So Zangief goes through like three or four frames of a grapple while the other character is just the same hurt frame or goes through two hurt frames and cycles and just, they keep rotating it and putting it in different places so that it looks like this move is happening. But Zangief's really just holding a solitary character and it's just flips from like 90 mm-hmm. to 90 degrees, like not a full, cause like sprite rotation is bad. It's ugly unless it's done really well but yeah that was just all really challenging myself to make sure my art all worked together that's awesome i mean so many times these things are disconnected right like you have your artists and you have the person implementing it and engineering and tech artists and and so i always find it fascinating to to see at at this level when you would did you have to implement those as well or, or were you working with your engineer to be like okay here's the, the frames of the animation this is how it should play and this is how it runs yeah that's been <laughs> that was uh that was a uh, several conversations over okay. time because there was a time where a lot of things were more machine driven like fallbacks were machine driven where like if you hit somebody they would fall back and it was like you know an arc in the game mm-hmm. sense of the arc like so it, it it was floaty you know it needed tweaking but like and a lot it, of it wasn't really an animation, right? You're just kind of like yeah. setting some position on screen programmatically, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you mean by machine driven. Yeah. Like when you tween something, right? Like, yeah, has, there you go. That's a better word. It just like goes over an arc, mm-hmm. but that's not how things were animated a lot of times. And there was a lot of like, how does Street Fighter 2 work and guesswork, right? Of a lot of stuff. That's a great foundation to build off of or strive after for sure. Yeah. We really like, we're like, okay, so every fallback is like two or three or four frames of just it goes to a fallback animation of them like kind of like arms down and falling back and then transitions to a down state when it hits the ground mm-hmm. but it has like pretty much a fixed arc in a lot of ways not always because there's actually some other programmatic stuff that came up like if you kill somebody with a throw uh-huh like, like with a pile driver or something they will bounce because they also have a thing where when they hit zero they fall back so they okay. actually do this thing where it's like they hit the ground and then they fall back off the ground. It is actually pretty cool because it looks like you're like you're skipping rocks with people. Like you do a body slam and they just bounce <laughs> off the ground. There's always and an like, extra bounce. Dude, you take me back because I love the shit out of Street Fighter 2 in your opening yeah. sequence. <laughs> it is literally that scene from the Street Fighter 2 arcade, right? Where the dude knocks out the other person, but it's flipped now, right? It's not white dude knocking out black dude. Well, it's a play on the whole. Remember that Pepsi commercial where they were like the cops? Describe it to me. I think it was supposed to be like one of the Jenners or Kardashians or whatever were in it. And everybody it was like all these pictures of people dancing and all this like unity. And then, the, and then she walks up to a cop and like gives him a Pepsi rather. And he uh-huh. like opens it up and like does like a cheers thing. Everybody's like, oh, soda saves the world. Right. Uh-huh. Like, and that's how you solve police violence apparently is by being friends with the here. police. So this one is socialite. Like she's in her jacket and all that stuff. And she's just there holding a can of Coke or of FS Cola rather. Mm -hmm. And then the cops there, the shitty racist cops there. And then she punches him out. Yeah. The background is actually a multiracial group of people. Like if you Mm -hmm. look at the background, it is tiled also because like, I don't know the game, we never really figured out tiling. So a lot of it was manual by me, 
but like the, the so it's a background sprite of just a bunch of characters like doing some little animations some celebratory things and then yeah she knocks him out and then it goes yeah like the fs cola fights someone and so it's like the the flip of that it's also like slightly on a play on sorry to bother you i don't know if you've seen that movie no so sorry to bother you is like a movie about like how far will you go to make money and it stars lakeith stanfield he's like a poor guy who gets a job at a call center danny glover's in it and he teaches him about this thing called the white voice and it's it's overdubbed in the movie so it's like i think it's it's david cross okay. david cross and like Patton oswald like do the like overdubbed voices and it's really funny because it's just like your inner white voice it's like it's not even what white people sound like it's what they <laughs> it's what they aspire to sound like it's like you've never you've never been fired only laid off you don't even need the money. You're just here because you want to come to an office. And so he starts using that and starts getting more and more like richer for the company. And the company is basically dealing in slavery. People can sell themselves to the company and they just, they work for the company for the rest of their life. It's like a big thing. There's like protests, but then there's a part where a woman who's a, like one of the protesters, she throws a Coke at the, at the Keith, like as he's walking in, his name's Cash is Green, which is funny because like Cash is Green, right? Like, uh, so he, she throws a thing at him and it hits him in the head and he goes like, ah, and it becomes like a YouTube viral sensation. And it's like, and so it becomes like, have a cola and a smile, bitch. Like she yells <laughs> that. And then that becomes this huge viral thing. And that's, if you see any of the posters, there's like a, there's a poster is him on a phone with like a bandage over his head with like a red blotch. And it's because of where he got hit by the can. And so that was like the fight. Someone was like kind of this like play into that. And it was actually because we needed an interesting intro for the launch trailer. And because I wanted to have something that would catch people's eyes immediately that transitioned into oh this is going to be the beginning of the game and again nice. hooks somebody immediately because they see not just street fighter but it's also politics right like it's yeah. several and if you get where i'm going with it then you're like oh cool but if you don't you're just like oh street fighter haha and if you don't otherwise it's like oh these are these big sprites that are moving and you're like oh okay um well i mean it does a great job of like catching your glimpse if, you, if you're looking at it in a convention show or something like that you'd be like oh that looks familiar let me go check it out and then it's kind of deep in that combat is the big part of this mechanic but the city is also living breathing and much more modernized than any other depiction you've typically seen of it right and the characters and, and the layers in here i came across treachery and beatdown city by sheer coincidence i think it was a twofold thing of like connecting with you for game devs of color or maybe coming coming across some of the things you were talking about on Twitter and then being like, oh, snap, you know, Sean's got a game out there. Like, what, what is it? What's going on here? Check it out. And then I guess timing was perfect where Prime Gaming was featuring it or giving it away for free or something like that. And I checked it out and I, I love the look, obviously. And then the homage to beat em ups and then the combat system was crazy to me, right? Because I mean, you've, you've since called out some of your inspirations for it, like Fallout's VAT systems, traditional JRPGs, right? Like anybody plays old school Pokemon, like living in menus and selecting fight or run or ability. And then even the real time input part of like a Mario RPG, right? Like something that blew my mind, right? Like, oh shit, I'm no longer just watching the thing play. I can still actively do inputs to like increase damage or whatever. And then you couple that with like insane characters, right? Like <laughs> sweet backstory, vibrant, colorful characters that I've never seen before. That just, you don't see represented in this manner. 
I was like, yeah, you know, remind, remind me their names. It's like, was it a Puerto Rican lady, a Mexican grappler, and then like a Jamaican capoeira dude? Remind me their names. Uh, Lisa is the, the MMA slash boxer, Puerto Rican woman. And Brad, the bull killer steel, is uh, the Mexican wrestler. And Bruce Maxwell is the Jamaican-American capoeira jikundo fighter. You put a lot of years into it, but I look at these gameplay systems and I'm just like, oh man, tell me more. What was some of the challenges putting these, some of these things together, things that you didn't plan for? I'll preface this by saying you have a full one hour postmortem where you go through <laughs> the entirety of the game. So I'm definitely going to encourage people and I'm going to link to it to go check it out if you want to learn more. Definitely grab the game, take it for a spin. I think it's on Switch, PC. That's it right now. We got something to drop this year, like console-wise. We're hoping to be out everywhere, but there's at least one other console that's coming out. That'll be out when we drop this DLC. It comes out day and date with that console. Oh, there's DLC coming? The game actually ends on a on a cliffhanger. Because, like, you know, project management, you start learning things, and you. I realized that um, I'd overpromised, but also the things that I did promise, like 40-some-odd enemies, here's all this music, here's all these moves... Here's a bunch of levels. Like right now, I think the game clocks in at like four or five hours, depending on how you play it. I'm like, that's pretty good for 20 bucks. Like, hell yeah. And so then at some point I was just like, and we had actually decided we wanted to make it like episodic in the sense that each like part of the story was like the end of an episode. And, you know, the whole game is actually made to be like bite-sized chunks, like the ramping of all the fights and going to the halal cart and fighting the boss is meant to basically be like, okay, you got, you keep going through these little chunks. And they are all designed to go from like easy, medium, or easy, slightly harder, medium, you know, in the beginning, and then a little harder than medium. And so we would design it to be like, okay, well, this isn't going to feel like drastic, sharp cutoff, right? We wanted to really introduce ideas over small, small little bits. And the whole thing is designed in the sense of how many ramps does it take to get to the center of the Tootsie Roll Pop, to get to the boss. And the boss is supposed to, you know, they're not bespoke like a lot of games are. Every boss is basically a normal character. Like they just have different stats. So then we have these ideas where the bosses can reinforce certain things. Like, do you know defense? Do you know Mm -hmm. like very basic things? If it's earlier on and you've got to defend more and know more about countering and whatever and probably no more about item use as you go on but some people get it some people don't as as with all games so we have like another drop to do so it's like a to be continued a big thing happens the whole story gets turned on its ear and yeah we're doing a lot of like just writing a design for the next episode with a question mark of is it one is it two people have to play the game to figure out because like i don't want to spoil be like yeah this is the end or whatever something that's interesting about indie games is you can be a little bit more mysterious you can Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so the good thing is like most people aren't like where's the second episode i paid for this game and blah blah most people are like i can't wait i'm excited for it's funny because like we had to tell our kickstarter backers also because there's a bunch of them that are just not in this and we're like you're gonna be in the next bit like so and like some of the art from kickstarter backers will be in the next bit i love hearing that when a game is released what like two years ago now 2020 march yeah. 20 yo you're actually going today day and date two yeah. year anniversary 31st yeah yeah look at yeah, that tomorrow. yeah it's uh been a lot like i mean well it's been like two two years and two weeks now since like the pandemic began Mm-hmm. And and like me figuring out how to launch a game into said pandemic while taking care of a kid. At least my kid has daycare now, which is good. <laughs> oh hell yeah! That was that was brutal. 
where does new challenger come from what's the inspiration behind the name so a bit ago i don't know i like fighting games obviously like i've loved street fighter for a long time and yeah you put the quarter in new 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 challenger here comes a new challenger so i had a website a long time ago and it's still the website's url is a new challenger awaits.com and i came up with a company like an idea called a new challenger awaits and the the website is a new challenger awaits.com but it's but it's it's direct redirected from new challenger and so i on I'm actually probably coming up on my 12 year anniversary on Twitter. And so I wanted to make like a new challenger or something on Twitter, Yeah. but the NEW challenger thing was taken. It's still taken by a defunct account that was tied to rev three. I don't know if you remember them. It was a media group that was like, I think Anthony Carboni ran that he's a games purse writer, media person. And so. That account's still taken. And so I was like, I was online at E3 for the, the Wii U. Everyone, it was a huge line. You had a lot of time to think about things. And so I was like setting up my Twitter and I was just like typing all these different things. And I was just like, so I decided a new challenger. And I was like, well, it's too close to the NEW challenger. So then mm-hmm. I was like, let me just change it to the U to be kind of like, it's the new, new. <laughs> the new, new. Yeah. The new, so, new. And that, that just became it. And. Oh, and I think, well, that's the thing. That's my Twitter handle. And then one day I was like, well, what do I want? I needed to come up with an LLC name. And I was, you know, looking into like funding and stuff. And I was like, well, what do I do? And I was just like, let's just do New Challenger. That'll be my company. And it it makes sense because the more I like thought about the industry and the more I thought about my place in it, I was like, well, you know, we make games that like are about fighting, challenging things. And then also the company as itself, like as like quote unquote minority, whatever, under underfunded, under underinvested in, like a lot of people call it underrepresented. And I've been seeing other people trying to fight that because it's like I grew up in poverty in the city, right? Like I was under invested in basically, yeah, like not dude. necessarily. And so I like that. As that person, I just am a challenge to the industry. I argue with people's sensibilities. And, and you know, Treasure Beat Down City is an argument against a lot of people's ideologies and like it's like it's a game that's similar to like get out like all the white people are bad like <laughs> no, you you got you people gotta check this out people gotta check this game i'm telling you it's unlike anything it's extremely refreshing in so many ways right like it's nostalgic and retro but it's also modern and mixes a lot of cool elements together now being able to look back and see how the game turned out taking what you thought it could be what it ended up being Talk to me about any of the features or components that you are most proud of or things you wish you could have done differently. I mean, everything is the fighting system. Could I have Hell done yeah. it better, et cetera? Like, of course, as I thought about it over years, sure. Which is definitely going to spill into my next project. But I, I have to add that I love the way that you build your combo on the fly. Like, I, I thought that was so badass. I don't know why. I, I guess I never played Fallout or anything like that. But mm. to me, it was like, oh, yeah, what can I unlock here? What can I fit in here? Right. Like, well, that's the yeah. thing. Like, Fallout isn't that, right? Fallout's about like how much you can do damage and like you use items on the fly and do all that stuff on the fly. And I thought it was always funny that reviews of Fallout 3 were confused. They were always like, but then the moment to moment shooting is not that interesting. It's only interesting when you enter VATS. And I'm like, that's the point. Like, yeah. what is wrong with you? It's That's the whole the thing point. is that, like, the game is not a running gun first person shooter. The game is a tactical first person shooter where you stay in cover until you have your points. You peek out, you line up with somebody, you blow their head clear off, 
And then you go back and you like figure out what you're going to do and like maybe move on. And I loved Fallout 3 when I played it. I still hear about that game. The conceit of the game was I was really frustrated. You know, beat-em-ups were coming back because of Xbox Live Arcade. Older ones, which I was like, yeah, I love these. And then like newer ones, like, like I thought Castle Crashers misunderstood the genre for a lot of tactics. Also, it took a lot more from the 3D character action genre, which has a lot of like jungling and yeah. like combos in the air and stuff that I it's fine for character action games but that's not a beat em up thing mm. and also cause like th- then that means enemies become bullet sponges or punch sponges because you're like you 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 have to have someone to juggle in the air so that yeah. means you have to have more energy that's why Devil May Cry works but like a beat em up where it's like you, you just need to keep like it doesn't have the like cinematic flair it doesn't have the whole like, can you make your combo meter higher or whatever? It mm-hmm. doesn't have that. It just has hit people and move on. That's what a beat em up move is. Forward. And, move like, forward. do it in an interesting way with it, make the enemies interesting, make all these things interesting. So, and yeah, like Scott Pilgrim is a game that everybody, in my opinion, gets wrong. Like, I didn't like that game that much. Again, enemies were punch sponges, it was poorly balanced. It had great art because Paul Robertson's art is amazing. Mm-hmm. But like that has blinded people to the fact that the game is like has very poor fundamentals. Like if it's a four player fighting game, an enemy can't block, shouldn't be able to block on both sides simultaneously. And yet they can in that game because the whole point should be that they block on one side and somebody comes up and hits them in the back. Yes. But, you know, there's a book that just came out about beat em ups that were actually featured in called Go Straight. It's like a bitmap books. Great book. It's beautiful. All their books are beautiful, but I was super excited and super surprised that we were featured in it. But the thing about these games is that they are in Japan, they're called belt scrollers also. So the idea is that you move forward, mm-hmm. like stopping, you stop to fight and then you move. And if the fighting, when you stop is just forever, then it's like, you're, you're something missing. Like either the game's like made a specific way to keep you, to stop you because it's a quarter muncher. But if it's like an enemy that just blocks too much, it's like, that's just poor design. I think that's my opinion. But so we were trying to make the best beat em up. That was like the thing that we were trying to do. And then when we were trying to do that, I was realizing, actually even realized years later that I was trying to do something that wasn't going to work. Mm. The things I wanted to do conflicted with the genre. And I didn't realize this. And we were just like having a hard time. Technically we were in game maker. There were just a lot of animation issues and all sorts of stuff. So it was like, what do we do? And I was, I, I went, I was taking a shower, like a literal shower moment. And I sat there and I was like, beat him up RPG. I was like, we're going to have turn-based stuff in here. And I was (laughs) like, I was like, I was like Mario RPG. Like I thought about Mario RPG. I thought about hybrid heaven, which is this game on N64. It was from Konami. It was supposed to kind of be like metal gear, but not at all like metal gear. It's a, it has like a story, like aliens and like government cover-ups and stuff. But the whole battle system is one-on-one fighting game, but turn-based it's where a lot of this came from. Like it has like, you stop, like the enemy goes, goes enemies attacking, but it's very based on 3d fighting games. So it's like, you can choose a step left or right. You can try to block. Um, and if you step left or right, but the person kicks in the direction that you step in, then you'll get hit. So it has that 3d fighting element where if you step around somebody, but they do like a roundhouse kick, you might still get hit. It was, it was interesting. And it has like way too many moves. It's a game that I love though. And, you learn your moves by getting them done to you. But if you got the headbutt in the game, you were basically invincible for a lot of time because you also could hurt enemies. And if you hurt a body part and mm-hmm. you hit them again, you just kept wailing on that body part, you would win. So the headbutt would literally damage an enemy to the point where their head 
was almost <laughs> done. And then you just oh, yeah. hit them one more time and you beat them. So that was actually something about beat em ups that like, you know, in Double Dragon on the NES, everyone does the back elbow to beat Jimmy Lee, like the last boss, right? Spoilers, if anybody um, had it played this the 35 year old game. Is that like your, your, your face forward back yeah, attack? Like, kind of yeah. Thing? Yeah. So like you just get this like elbow, that's the most powerful move of the game. And what you do is you just walk up elbow and then wait and then do a meaty elbow as they get up and you just keep hitting them until you win essentially. And that's, you know, dominant strategy. And I don't like Mm -hmm. dominant strategies. I, I've, I I like to play fighting games, beat ups or whatever. It's funny. Like I used to want to be a competitive player and I started to learn that like, you can't have fun as a competitive player. No, you have to play to win. And I don't like playing to win find one strategy that works there's no i mean people freestyle people go for the audience kind of wow moments but yeah the the dominant guy like you know you might pop out a raging demon when you can but yeah it's not the the most frequent strategy yeah there's this guy kane blue river who like a south american marvel versus capcom player and he plays like the ones that i want to he has like hulk and Hagar and like the characters that I'm like interested, but like, yeah, literally those games at the end are all about figuring out how to have a long combo, Mm -hmm. not let the other person, if a person presses a button and you catch them on a wake up, they're done. That's the goal in that game. That goal in the game is not to like be exciting and have fun. And that's fine. I just learned that about be fighting games because I always would put out the risky leg. High risk, high reward, (laughs) severe punishment. Yeah. And I'd get my ass handed to me by like, like, I was Ooh. once about to play like Chris G, who's again a big competitive yeah, no fighting Chris game player. G. I was yeah. I was at a friend's tournament that was about to start, and we were in warmups, and I started playing what against game? him. What game? What character? Uh, Street Fighter Four. I'm a Zangief player. Geef, that's what your grapple inspiration. Brad was basically the first character we made because we wanted to make a grappler that was interesting. Another one of the core tenets was like, can we make a grappler, you know, more interesting in these games? So yeah, and I was playing with Chris G and. I realized that I like, I don't have the patience to play competitively, like, cause he's a competitive player. He's going to play in the most annoying way possible to win. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I want to have fun. Yeah. And so I just, that's actually, I think where I gave up mentally. And I was like, I don't want to be a competitive fighting game player anyway. Cause like also one of my best friends, you can't play smash brothers with them because he's done competitive smash. You are not going to have fun with him. He's not going to let you have fun. He it's is going dark. to, he turns off his face and just plays. And like his brain shuts down and it's just Smash Brothers until everyone is dead. And then he wakes up like it's really strange. That's the difference, though, right? There's like playing for fun and playing to win are are mutually exclusive. I mean, they're having fun, I guess. Right. If they win, they're having fun. But yeah, I don't uh, know. Yeah. Yeah. That's debatable. (laughs) For sure. That's debatable. I I'm in the middle in there somewhere. Right. Like when I'm playing for fun, I pick characters that I don't really know that well. Yeah. Yeah. And try to do things that I see the pros do. Yeah, for sure. Damn, man. I love I love fighting games. Inspiration, obviously, from beat-em-ups and fighting games. And a lot of lessons learned. Similar to your sneaker research, right? Like, you now have an appreciation for these 2D fighting mechanics. These combat design considerations and, and systems and, and pros and cons. I am the encyclopedia on this stuff these days. So, there's only a couple other people like that. It's people who also design... <laughs> 2d like beat em up slash fighting games and that's the thing like not everybody is that person like when they mm-hmm. make some of those games that was the thing i was going to say is that like yeah we were failing to make the best beat em up so then we just took a lot of these elements and there's also fire pro wrestling is one of my favorite games and it's oh, a great shit. it's a great single player game because it has a behavior system that's very simple it's basically like when at full health do i do the move that's on square 
Or do I do the move that's on triangle? Or do I do the move that's on circles? Triangles run. Square is usually weak. Then cross was medium. Then circle was heavy. Then square plus cr- cross was usually reserved for like the finisher. And then there's like, do you throw the character in the ropes? Do you jump off the ropes? Do you do all this? And there's like the game has all this like really layered, like telling a character, like if you have full health, you're more likely, how often are you likely to run to the ropes? How often are you willing to do square or triangle or circle? And so it creates like this way where you can create a character that actually acts like a real wrestler. Like, Mm. and then it has like sub things. Like if the character is bleeding, do they have a special move? Like, like how in Ric Flair in real life, if Ric Flair is bleeding, he usually will win because he gets a boost in real life, like in real life, fake wrestling. Right. And so like in the game, there was actually a thing where if you were bleeding, your stats went up as opposed to down. And there was like a thing where like, it was like one hit reversal where like, if someone hit you with your finisher move, there's a chance you'll sit right back up out of it. It's again, it's all chance based. And there was also like auto counters. So like, if you, if you, you could do any move at any point, there were no meters. There was no, like, there was no meters at all. Everything's invisible. So your health is visible. You could actually beat somebody in one attack in that game because there was also <laughs> a, there's also a hidden thing called critical where there, every move has a chance to do a critical, especially based on your character's type. So usually the critical would be mapped to their finisher. So like you could theoretically run to the ring, get in as a, you could make Steve Austin because his face is in the game. And you could grab the person, put them in a stunner. And if they don't counter it, because there's a chance that they won't counter it because it's auto, it's all auto countering. And then if the game decides, rolls the dice, there's a chance you could critical them with one stunner and then they'd just be laying on the ground. Like, and the referee would like go over to them, check if they're okay. And then go like end the match. And so that's, that's, that's something interesting. I wanted interesting fighting. And that's what they do is that like, there's a small chance you will just auto counter a finisher, even when you're at really low health and about to be defeated. So like in our game, we put in like all these counter moves or like, the grapple counter system was built so that at high health, the character's more likely to counter than at lower health. But then there's like grapple, then there's more grappler friendly characters like the sneaky types, which are less likely to auto grapple versus brawlers who are more 50 50 versus grapplers who are 75 25 because they're grapplers. Why wouldn't they counter? And I grew up as an only child. I wanted to basically make an interesting fighting RPG that you could play by yourself. And yeah. Yeah. So then that, then when all that came to me, I was just like, yeah, like, cause I didn't want to try to make like, like a four player beat em up. I wanted to make something that, cause I actually, cause NES double dragon, because they didn't have two players, they gave you a leveling system. And so like, I like that leveling system. The fact that that leveling system was based on how often you did certain attacks, you could actually game the experience stuff, but it would actually make the game harder. You got more experience for punching than kicking and kicking did more damage than punching and kicking was way more dominant. So if you yeah. played more aggressively and maybe got hurt more, you'd actually get moves faster in the game and then, and then really be able to just destroy the game once you got like the jump kick and stuff. And, and the even then kick. enemies had like counters where they would duck enemy would throw you off them. If you got on top of them, like all these different things that I thought was always really interesting. And that was all built into this game that again, from like 1987, right. Mm-hmm. And like fire pros from the eighties also it's from the late eighties. So it's like, these games with these fundamentals are from a very long time ago. And I was like, yeah, we're going to do that. And so, so then all the fights became like wrestling matches rather than just, cause also the idea about the game was like, 
why do you have to fight people on the street in the first place, right? Because beat-em-ups are like, you just roll through 30 of the same yeah, enemy. Everybody's a, a gang member or, or yeah. some type of... In our games, it's based a lot on, like, you know, growing up as a racially ambiguous person who had, like, a white mom in, like, a neighborhood filled with people. Also, not really understanding, because my, my white mom was also very xenophobic towards, like, the quote-unquote the Puerto Ricans and stuff like that, oh, yeah. so... Even though she would make friends with a lot of people's moms, she like she's from like North Carolina. She's a progressive person, but like a lot of progressive people, as we all know, are racist and or xenophobic and Islamophobic. And that was my mom. She well, it's, it's that generation. Yeah, progressive right? enough. Like, but, but again, progressive enough to have a kid with a black person, mm-hmm. but not progressive enough to let that kid be in a Muslim's elementary school class. Like it was just uh, strange, right? It was there's a weird fascism to like certain like progressives where they 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 still believe certain things sure. that that they just still believe like archetypes and stereotypes of certain people so but yeah so like you know growing up and having people shouting at me and my mom and like being like like asked what I am by cops and like you know being cuz again being racially ambiguous every or or just people like a lot of people like a little a lot of Puerto Rican Dominican like older women would just assume I was Puerto Rican or Dominican because I, yeah, I am Especially ambiguous. Being in New York. Yeah. Yeah. And so they would just start speaking to me. So all these like assumptions of who I was. In Spanish, they start speaking to you in Spanish. Yeah, of course. And I'm like, <laughs> nah, man, I don't know. And I'm, it was just like all these no, assumptions and, you know, people harassing you for like to give them money or buy their CD oh, yeah. or all that <laughs> just was like, like my cousin, man. And buy also the CD. one time I threw a snowball at like a friend and it missed and it just went into the street. And somebody came back and they just punched me in the face because I was throwing snowballs and they got hit by, I think, a different snowball that wasn't mine. But they just like, like, I used to get into like the, the dumbest fights. Also, I like would almost get robbed, except I didn't have any money. So like, I remember a guy like we were playing our Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 in like a shoe store near my high school. And because that's that's what they had for some well, reason. High school. Brooklyn Tech. And so everybody would be in there. But by that point, it was just me and somebody else. And some kids came in and they were like, they were like, yo, jump. And it was like to see if you had any change in your pocket. I just had my keys and my chain wallet. So they were like, cause I, I had $1 a day for food and I would spend it immediately and then eat my, like my hostess cake or whatever and drink my tropical fantasy. Cause I didn't, yeah, I didn't have that. That was me having more money than I had as a younger kid where I had no money every day. Yo, hold um, on. The tropical fantasies are like the big, like 17 20 ounce. ounce. Yeah, 20, 20 ounce. ounce. Yeah. Sugar, water, sugar, like carb, you know, soda sh- flavored sodas. Yeah, yeah, like I, I love the blue cherry one. That was oh. that was my jam. But that's such I don't a know. That's such a value, bro. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, I would always be like, I'm not spending a dollar on a soda. I'm gonna get some food and some soda. But yeah, so like, so that guy was like, "Yo, jump!" and I had no money, so he just left. But like, like again, like, like the city is just like a very violent place, like verbally yes. a lot of times, dog, and sometimes dog, physically. Dog. This game came out of a lot of it was like, well, what if I could fight all the people who were shitty to me on the street? She did me or she did my ex-wife who was a dark skinned Puerto Rican woman with like long hair that was mistaken for the help, like on more than one occasion. So it's like all the characteristics of the, of the main characters are based on like friends and people I know interactions we had with each other or with other people. And so it all just manifested into, yeah, three players. Into your three awesome characters. Do you get to play as each of them? through the narrative or you kind of select who you are at any given time uh, you select whenever you want but there are like through the whole thing there are these revenge fights 
that or or revival rival fights rather where you end up in a fight because the thing is we didn't want anyone to be able to go through the whole game without seeing the the eyes through the eyes because each person's important Mm -hmm. and they have to you you, we need you to have a conversation between two or all three of them Mm -hmm. so there are fights that all three people are involved in the, the talking but then it ends with one person because that one person's like no i'm taking this person out or someone starts getting like racially profiled or and then the other people are like i'm gonna help out or like you know like you know brad and bruce will be like i'll fight them for you and lisa's like no like screw that i'm gonna fight them like that's what i want to (laughs) do it's like so then you get a sense of all three characters there's like a build of the team's like dynamic and you get to know that they're all in there for each other and that they also have things that they don't like about each other, but they also do like, you know, so there's like a lot of banter in those cutscenes with mm-hmm. other people involved. Like it's, it's funny to me, like we, you were talking about like the different characters and like, I've seen people like highlight like queer characters on the switch. And I'm like, that had never even previewed the game. And I'm like, Lisa literally is wearing bisexual colors. Like she's wearing pink and blue and purple. And I'm like, that's the bisexual flag. And she is either bi or pan like you know whatever she likes men and women like mm-hmm. and like there are cutscenes where she fully comes out there's a whole cutscene that deals with like kinks and sexual attraction and stuff oh, nice. in the midst of and wrestling references and it just is like it's a whole lot of stuff you wrote all that right yeah and it's all stuff that like i think about on a day-to-day basis and i've had to think about the characters and who they are and how they interact with the world around them also it's grown as i've grown as a person it's the game that it's hard for me to talk about because it is me as a person. Mm-hmm. It's like one it of the is most, you, the first I, one. I don't recommend opening your heart and throwing it out onto <sighs> the switch. Like I did because it's, yeah, it's just hard for me to talk about. Like, it's like, if someone doesn't like it, it's like, do you not like me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is that paradox, man. But I mean, it's easy for me to say, but I'm glad you did it. Right. I'm glad you, you put yourself into this experience because it's very unique. How long would you say from like a time standpoint, you started in 2012 and, and shipped in 2020 and then now you got DLC. So been like 10 years of dev, huh? Or just nonstop dev. Initially. Yeah. Initially, the funny thing is the first thing that was made for it was the intro cutscene. Nice. And it was just, I met inverse phase, the musician. I had just these characters and some backgrounds and I was like, I don't know what this is. I had done some sprite work and my ex-wife and her best friend had like a little like variety YouTube show that they were trying to get to be big. So they like, were like, Hey, do you want to do like a little short for this? Mm-hmm. And so I did a thing where it was like red, where like a bicyclist is trying to run at the group. And the group standing there being like, you move, like you're on the sidewalk, you're coming right at us. Like, and the mm-hmm. person just kept saying, watch out. And then Brad does like a lariat and like a flaming lariat and knocks the person <sighs> off their bike. And that's actually kind of the, you know, where the idea of like that move and also like the idea of having like bicyclists right at you. Cause it's stuff that's happened to me again in the city where people just are like, get out of the way. And I'm like, I'm on the sidewalk. You get out of the way. Like it's illegal for you to be here. And also when I go to other cities and it's not illegal and they're all like behind you going, I'm like, no, like I'm walking, (laughs) like you go around. I like, I'm, I'm, I'm pedestrian. I'm like an aggressive pedestrian. Like, so so like that was like a thing and I needed music for it. And so I found this, I was just looking for chiptune music mm. and 
I found like a cover of Forget You or, you know, F You by uh, CeeLo yep. Green by Inverse Phase. And it was great. It was like this amazing like chiptune cover of it. And then I was like, I remember I announced on Twitter that I wanted to work with him. And he was like, oh, in what capacity? And I was just like, oh, well, I've got this idea for a thing. And then I, so we made a two minute intro song. And that's how I actually honed a lot of the cutscene art came from that because the intro used to be like, I don't know, I used to do like really in-depth pictures. And then like, it was like really weird looking and pixel. And then I had to keep 50 percenting it and expanding it back out and making it till it was truly one-to-one pixel and still readable and so i had to keep basically like i i did like four or five iterations of that intro but the first intro was just stock photography and it was like i had to base my stuff on something and so i found a lot of photos of like Times square and like presidents and 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 landscapes and all sorts of stuff and so you can find the photos that i had referenced in my art like mm-hmm. composition or whatever but yeah basically it's unrecognizable just in the sense that i had to basically crunch all my art down bring it all back up and then fill in to make sure that it was actually still readable and it helped me learn a lot about pixel art and i just i it's something that like a lot of people take for granted and i you know, I got to learn about like the art of doing it while doing that intro. And I still had to change it over time when I realized that like the trailer was like, even my backgrounds, they weren't like correct. They weren't one-to-one. So like when we would, you know, stretch it for the game, it would go like, if, if it's like one pixel or two pixels, if you ever did like any in between, some stuff would get stretched, like, because it was an in between, cause you're stretching it like 150% or whatever. Yeah. So you got to do one or two or three. You couldn't do like one and a half or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, for sure. You need to have like powers of two kind of thing. And so yeah. I had to learn and then, you know, we had to just keep redoing the art until I finally learned like how to do it properly. And then sure, like, sure. Learn by doing. And, and then like, yeah, like operating within the limits. And it was just, it was fun because like, it was like, how do you make a bodega look like a bodega? When every magazine is only two by three pixels tall, the no smoking sign is like very small, all these things. It's like, what parts do you highlight the name of the place? Obviously, but yeah, and maybe the lotto sign is like just an abstract yellow and blue image on a, on a, on a glass window. Like it's, I love it. Yeah. Dollar, dollar pizza, the bodega for for me, the image of a bodega sign is usually like bright yellow and red Mm -hmm. and it kind of covers a corner usually. There's also the like the awnings too, because like, what do you mm-hmm. put on the awnings? What do they sell? Can you write the words big enough for people to read? I had to basically like approximate what words would look like in two pixel height things. So it'd be like two, like one, then one, then two, then mm-hmm. one, then maybe one up here, and then like a space, and then like just trying to write words that look like they're words, even though they're only two pixels tall and one pixel wide, <laughs> like for it- letters. Is this going to be the the calling card or the the, the style of new challenger? Is it going to be pixel art? No, no. Um, okay, that was that was my first thing. Learned a lot. I mean, I think it's for me. It's more like good art. So the next thing, a lot of what we want to do is expanding on like the black art aspects of it, like graffiti, because that's also one of the things that you know we like making environments that looked lived in but in order to make a lot of the graffiti in the game it came from like looking at watching graffiti documentaries and Mm. buying graffiti books i have a bunch of like graffiti art books that like from the 70s like when people would take the photos of them and like look at the styles and then use those styles to create the the graffiti in the game 
Mm-hmm. And and that wasn't like the intention in the beginning, but it ended up becoming like, you got to respect like the art styles and respectfully present things. And that's going to be the prevailing thing. Like it's cause I think my brain also changed as time went on. Like it's something that I say a lot is like, I had a talk that was like, it's bigger than video games. It was, it's like, it's bigger than hip hop, like the dead press. Yeah. Song. It's, it's all about like, like video games are important. Like video games are great, but like. I think they're, they're really powerful and you know, you can't. Well, that's the medium of this time for yeah. sure. I think it's fine that some people want to stay in like the pixel zone mm-hmm. and you know, I might do that for a smaller game in the future, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I really want to make just something that looks like beautiful painting. That's like a goal, like beautiful, like Harlem Renaissance style, like graffiti, like interesting thing looking into what we're, the next thing we're looking into is that like Harlem Renaissance art and graffiti has a lot of overlap of thick black outlines, bright colors, simplified shapes. And, you know, trying to, and like, there's also like Carrie James Marshall, who again, I've, I've seen and learned of so many people and he's like an artist of today and his art is just beautiful. It's like black silhouettes with like little bits of white highlight into them. But like, it's like black, like, like he draws all black. He just only draws black people, paints them huge paintings, like 10 feet tall, like 20 feet wide. Sometimes like I went to an exhibit and the paintings were humongous. Like a 10 feet is, is like a basketball hoop. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So maybe eight, nine, I don't know, something like that, but big paintings with barbershop scenes and like hairdresser scenes. And he had this whole sequence of like black Frankenstein and the bride of Frankenstein, but they were like, you know, how a giant Afro with like white lightning cutting through it. This is very beautiful. And so I want to do, you know, I want to do something along the lines of like the many, like great black artists of our time. Like that's like the next thing that I want to And then I also have like an idea for like something that's way more like anime graffiti influenced also. So, you know, there's, I'm really trying to pull from the, the future. I think Treachery Beat Destiny is a great, it's a great, like it's a pixel game. That's like a protest about a lot of stuff. And so the next stuff is like, I want to move on with the art. Okay. I'm really happy with where I, you know, with what I got. You learned, you put it out there and your next game is going to be influenced by something different, right? We'll see an evolution. We'll see a progression. I like it. Yes, Sean. So you you are a key piece of the game developers of color expo. That is hands down kind of my favorite game developer gathering. It was you guys gave me a shot. It was my first place where I got to come on and give a talk back in, I don't know, 2019, I guess pre-pandemic or 2020, GDOC 2020. I gave, I came on, did a little spiel on like culturally aligned protagonist design. I, I got to give you your credit because you helped me refine that thing from what my little outline to what it ended up being that I could kind of be pretty proud of. And, and it lit a bug, right? I think that's where I first manifested or threw out an idea of, Hey, I want to put a podcast together. So stay tuned. And, and by nature of having that thing captured in video and watching it and be like, shit, man, I got to do it now. Here we are. And I'm, and I'm ecstatically happy to be able to kind of come full circle and, and bring you on to this podcast that I've created to share your message, let the people, let the world know who you are, what new challenges up to after, you know, having been able to come onto, onto that platform. So thank you immensely. I, I, I try to tell everybody I can, and I've shit, you know, pushed it when I was at EA and I'm pushing it while I'm at Epic to be like, Hey, we have to get involved in game developers of color. I want to just get you to, to share your insight on what it is 
and where you guys are trying to take it and where people can go to learn more or, or, or what you guys are looking for. Thank you. I mean, I appreciate that. I appreciate again, like your willingness to just take the notes. Cause you know, they could have gone a completely different way where you're like, you read market that sucker good, man. It's like, I know what I know and I'm going to, cause people just do that. Sometimes I was, I was actually talking to a young developer of color at GDC this year, who I was trying to pull out of him what he does. And he was just being really, it was weird. He's new mm-hmm. and he wanted to talk to people, but was also really aggressive to the point where I just <laughs> didn't want to talk anymore. Cause I was like, so what do you do? And it was like game developer. And it's like, what does that mean? Cause this is literally a game developers conference, which is an umbrella for game developer. It's interesting. There's like a, there's a weird conflation where some people think game developer means it's like, you know, the, the typical, de- like the typical developers, 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 de- like the, <laughs> like, and that was, that didn't mean artists. That didn't mean animators. That meant people who made office, right. It made people who made the windows. Mm-hmm. That's what made, but like the term, it Over. wouldn't be called the game developers conference. If and that, that has people who do sensitivity reading to marketing, to produce, you know, to production, like it's everybody. That's what we're like game developer. He just didn't seem to understand that. And kept trying to ask all these questions and he kept just getting really sarcastic. And I was just like, dude, I've been doing this for like almost 20 years, like, or over 20 years, been thinking about these terms. So I'm just asking you questions mm-hmm. so that I know what you do. And again, like, so again, like the fact that you were like, all right, like, cause again, like this culturally stuff, cultural stuff with characters is like stuff I've been thinking about for a long time. Yeah, and I was just like, sure. I saw it. And that's kind of why we also like ask people like to tell us who their background is. Cause I was like, oh, there aren't that many like Dominican speakers in the game space. And I was like, I love what you're doing. I love who you are. It's actually, it is actually a little weird. Cause we actually do try to make sure that we represent as many types of people as possible. So I'm always like, cause like, you know, it could be really easy to be like, you know, black people have it hard. And I'm like, yes, it's true. However, indigenous people have it hardest. Mm. So, and like mm. other groups, if they're not represented, then we are not represented as our rainbow coalition of black and brown folks that we're trying to do. So like when I saw that, I was like, okay, cool. Let me work with this dude. Cause I like his idea. And also, cause we were talking about Luis Lopez and I think that's a great like connection there too. Cause like, it, it connects I, I, us, felt, right? I felt like he was, I felt like, well, like, like Luis being a Dominican guy written by white people and potentially coming out kind of weird sometimes. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's, let's dig into this. Cause we also worked at the same company, uh, rockstar at one point. So, um, I was like, yeah, let's talk. And then you were like, sure. And I was like, wow, that's great. And, and I was just, and again, like it's, I went to this rap conference once that happened in Williamsburg. And I don't know if it'll ever happen again, but one of the things that people were talking about was their importance in breaking artists and like mm. being like the first people to drop a new artist. And like, and that stuck with me in that, like, that's what I want game does of color expo to be is like a spot that gives everybody their first time out because GDC for me is really hard to get into. And I've even had talks that I've given that like they get bad ratings from, uh-huh. from an audience that's just doing respectability politics or something on me. Like being like, like I've actually, I've looked at my, I've literally looked at like my talk ratings there. Cause you, you know, you get all that yeah, and it's you, like, you've done like four, I feel like I've, I've spoken, I've sp- at GDC specifically. No, I spoke at 2013 GDC, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Oh, I think shit. I skipped. I skipped 19 because, because I was able to get my a part of why, well, I didn't get any talks accepted and then I was going to do 20, but 20 didn't happen. So, and then I did three talks in 2020, 21 yeah, and, I, and, I didn't do any, and I didn't do any talk this year because of my arguments with them and payments and they only wanted to pay one. me for one of my talks. And I know they don't pay a lot of people for anything they do. 
That's a big one, bro. I put in a lot of hours into my first GDC talk. It was a panel. It was like five of us or six Mm -hmm. of us, including myself. A lot of time and, you know, got like top 5% rating or something like that. So a, a big deal for them. But like all they say is like, okay, here's a pass, right? But you're on the hook for getting yourself there and everything else like that. And so that's a big difference from, I think, the way you guys run things where you actually pay your speakers for their contribution to the to the expo yeah and if someone needs like when we did it on when we did it in person if someone needed to come we had a policy if you were a speaker and you know we wanted to do it for everybody and if you were a dev we did do it sometimes also if you were again because we try to represent as many people as possible you know we flew out two south african game developers it was fifteen hundred dollars a piece I think both of them gave a talk too. Sometimes we'd be like, if we're going to pay for you to come out, can you at least give us a talk also? <laughs> yeah. And then we'll just be like, here you go. Like I told some people, I was like, hey, if you need help getting out to our event, just give a talk, be on a panel or something. Like I, I want you to be on this panel because you'll help round it out. But then also that'll give us the in- incentive because you're kind of working for us at that point. Mm-hmm. So let give you money. But we also had a game dev who had a, a tabletop game and couldn't afford to come out. So we were like, well, we, we, we were down in tabletop games. This game is like from a, like a queer Asian perspective, again, because we try to value having as many different types of games and as many different types of people as possible. We said, yeah, let's just throw money at that person and get them out here because we want their game out. And so, totally. like, yeah, our, our whole, the game doesn't color, but the whole thing is about like, we don't get paid a lot of times. We don't get paid to come out. The tech industry, everyone gets flown out. People get paid like $40,000 to give a talk sometimes. And these people want to argue over $500 a lot of times. And yeah, like, dude. And paying for you to come out and everything. And it's like, like, and they're not transparent about what they earn. Mm-mm. So it's like, you know, it and is you're, a for-profit entity. for-profit entity. So it's like, <laughs> like what? Mm-hmm. And so, and you expect people to, yeah, spend like two grand. Like the first year I went to GDC, I spent $2,000 on my ticket. It was 2012. Pricey, I, man. I, 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 I only go with like the, the, it's on company dime these days, yeah. these days, man. Yeah. So, and that's actually, and then the second year of 2013, I was on a PlayStation mobile panel, like talking about PlayStation mobile. And so that got me my badge. And I think I was actually an exhibitor at like the PlayStation booth. So I got that badge and I got mm. to you know, wander the expo hall. I really love exhibitor badges because you get to wander the hall. Yeah. That's, that's a key thing. I, so Somebody posted this genius idea on Twitter and I don't know why I never thought about it. Right. Because the magic of GDC really is just, just all these developers are in the same place at the same time. Right. So it's just like, just get your butt to San Francisco. You don't even need to go in the conference, right? To be able to benefit from being able to connect with and talk to and play games and learn from and exchange, you know, for people that don't get to get the thousand dollars or whatever for the pass. Yeah. There, I mean, there's companies that do that. Like I (sighs) went to dice this year and one of my friends, like their company, like I knew a couple of people, the company, they, they just had a suite upstairs. They didn't Mm -hmm. have a badge to the thing because it was that event cost $3,000 to go to and like even just like $900 to go to like the awards or something. It was just like, it's this ridiculous amount of money that people are just like, nah, we're just going to rent the suite. It's going to cost us like 600 for the week. And for some reason that hotel was really cheap. It was a lot cheaper than my GEC hotel. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people just hang out in the park. That's like Mm -hmm. a big thing or, and then I'm a part of a, a, a list where they ended up 
renting out a suite and having these small little quiet chats that you could just go to. They were an hour and a half each. And it was like, so you could have like this, yeah, you could have this and they had, you know, party and stuff. So, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of ways to do GDC without going, or like you could go to like get the indie summit badge, which is for the first two days. That That's actually pretty nicely discounted and it also gets you into the expo hall. And those tickets are very limited and they're, but they're cheap. And so that's, what I did the years where I didn't have the other thing, but I, oh no, I think I actually gave mine away because I ended up speaking, but like, sure. yeah, that's why, that's one of the reasons why I would like push to give a talk. But again, like it was like trying to give a talk was like very opaque. You get mm-hmm. bad feedback from somebody who just doesn't like the way you said something. And so there was a lot of respectability politics in there. I looked at my reviews and they'd be like, I'd literally say, one comes to GDC for actionable information, and there was none of this in this talk. And then the next one will be like, wow, the actionable information that I just needed for a moment. And you're just like, like, I don't know. I, I like, I have a, I don't understand the audience there. A lot of them are really like, I don't know what's going on. So like, they, they like get very confused and I've had to learn like how much you have to repeat stuff for people in order for mm-hmm. them to think that, home. yeah, you have to really be like, here's the points of do it. Cause if you don't, some people just get lost, even oh, yeah. if you're being clear. So you have to kind of make your talk for the people who can follow along to a full talk and the people who really get lost at certain points. So sure. that's, uh, again, like, I think it'd be really helpful if people, so again, like I had to learn how to pitch talks to get talks submitted. I had to pitch talks three or four times to get them accepted. I didn't want game does of color expo to be that way. So like mm. our whole thing is like, you know, we just take as many people, we last year, we took as many people as we could. And some people had, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't do it. So then we took other people last year. We actually took all of our speakers from the year before and we uh, waitlisted everybody because it was like, let's look to fill the spots with new people first, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. let's fill in as necessary. And then let's fill in with, you know, with our heavy hitters. Cause again, we have heavy hitters. We have like heavy hitters that are built because we keep like there was a Aubrey Jane Scott is uh she did a talk about like NASCAR because she's a trans indigenous woman who talked about like NASCAR player customization from like a socially minded place and that was like a great talk and I'm the speaker curator so I like see these talks I'm like yes we want you to give this talk we want to again have AAA when I have like vets we want to have new people again like everybody new to speaking, but also new to the industry, but also again, like you and like, there's that guy, Joe, who had like a 10 lessons in 10 years type of thing. Yeah. That was a, that was a great one. 10 minute talk, talk. First talk ever. And he was really excited to give it and just wanted to make sure like was constantly emailing and be like, Hey, when is this going? Is, is everything okay? And like, was ready to give it. And it was just great. Cause it was like, as someone I met a while ago and I'm like, thank you for giving your talk at our event. And that's the whole thing is like, we want to make, make it very comfortable for everybody to give their talk. We don't want people to uh, feel triple and sec and like second and triple guest And like, mm-hmm. and we don't want people to think that like, cause at the end of the day, and then, and then at the end of the day, everyone like all, like so much of the feedback is like, we love the talks. We Absolutely. love the community, even online. People are like, we love the community. We love the talks. And that's, you know, that's, and people, especially these days are like, oh, wow, these talks flow so well into each other. I wonder if someone designed it. And I'm like, it's me, the game designer, thinking about experiences and thinking about like, there's the, there's even time thought. It's like two two or three short talks, then a yeah. longer talk, then a long talk, like then a 45 minute, like a panel or a talk from one person because we wanted to give you like, 
a ramp and then yeah, a break, yeah. and then the break would be like 20 minutes. So then it's like, okay, well I can leave for a half hour, come back and come back to some short talks. So it, like, it, it was, it was, it, we did the thing exactly. Yeah, like the way the pacing, we do it. The the curve. And I love that there's no overlap why it allows me to consume every talk without feeling like I, I missed out, right? Like I got to make a hard decision between a talk I really want to go see and another talk I really want to go see. So I appreciate that about the scheduling as well. Yeah. The only thing with that is it makes it hard because like it, we can't break a certain talk barrier. Like we can only do so many talks if we keep it on a single. That's true. Yeah. If you want to get that's the thing talks. about GDC is GDC it can have five talks at the same time because it has like all these different rooms and it allows more trains of thought. Like you could be like, I just want to go on to the technical track. Like I want to be on, like, I want to go to these programming talks uh, because that's what I do. And, you know, we hear from people like, oh, I want a more technical talk or I want more programming talks. And I'm always like, then submit them because I can't, I can't submit talks for you. I can't uh, write the talks point. you want. Be but, the change you want. But also I do think like, you know, we eventually will potentially have to break that single track because cool. or just or just accept that like there's one track if you don't like some parts of it you leave if you do then you stay and you learn something new about that i mean that's the one thing people have talked about that they learn about overlapping things that they didn't necessarily know about because they stayed for a talk that they didn't necessarily think was related to them but then they were there and one of my wife's friends doesn't do games at all he came to the event in person with the intent of leaving after about an hour just because he had other stuff to do and he stayed sure. all day because he was yeah, like this is all happened. really fascinating it's, it's it's really well done it's very accessible right you guys have affordable price points for everybody and i think you know i would love an excuse to go to new york any excuse i can to go to new york to do game dev stuff but the fact that you guys like everything else went online and you guys were pioneers. Like, I think you were one of the first ones to go online and kind of trailblaze and correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, but it, it allowed the attendance to kind of skyrocket by going online. Yeah. I think we doubled the first year and last year was actually like kind of steady. It was kind of the same amount of people, but new people, but new people. But the good thing was that again, like you see ticket sales all over the world and that's something you know, we've learned a lot from the GDC experience that A, tons of people got COVID at GDC. B, the online experience was apparently like 10% of the talks were streamed, which a lot of people were really upset about. And so the thing is, is like, if you're going to offer a hybrid event, you got to do it both good for both groups of people. Yeah. Um, and then also I make sure that they're not getting sick from it. So I, I feel like we're vindicated by keeping it online only for now. I for know sure. in person is important. Like I was at GDC. Um, the only reason I actually felt comfortable at GDC was because I had COVID in February. So I was like, I was told, we were told, yeah, we had triple vax plus natural immunity meant like, cause I got it even with triple vax, like from my kid. And I meant that I wasn't very likely to get it and then transmit it to my kid. And like, you know, I've done two tests since getting back at nothing. All good. It's good the, most, you, the, the most conclusive negative like that I've had because <laughs> I've actually seen like Oh, like my wife actually didn't have it earlier this year when she thought yeah. she might and she had a faint line and she did not have it and they, they say that that's not likely to happen and it happened because we actually did get COVID later so we know we didn't have it then we both felt sick for like a couple of days and then we felt better but it was it was allergies actually so I don't know there's again COVID is like a Russian roulette with your life <laughs> and with children and everything so it's like 
the in-person thing. It's super important to me. Like I felt great to see so many of my friends uh, to be around for some like momentous events. But yeah, I wanted, that's why it just then makes it me think, well, we need to make the online better. We need to make the yes. community better. We need to figure yeah. out how to, uh, where we are, we're working on our, our after hours, like party type things. We're, we're thinking about like, you know, what, what went right last year and how can we make it better this year? Like, how can we, it's literally just, how can we make everything better? We're actually keeping the time the same this year mm-hmm. and just seeing like, because that was a huge growth. It went from two days to four with more content. So we're like, well, how do we make the same four day thing? Now we just like, again, we iterate, we tweak yeah, everything. Buddy. We say like, okay, how do we, how do we do things similar? How do we do things that were working as well as possible? And then how do we do things that like some of the like networking stuff, how do we make that better? That's like a big, you know, the time investment of mm-hmm. researching. But yeah, it's, it's important. We want to, cause we, we want Game Does of Color Expo to be like mini GDC in a sense, like where we don't have like, you know, 12,000 people, it would be nice. But, sure. We'll get, we'll get there. We'll get there. But like, we want to make sure that like you come to our event and you could get picked up by a publisher. You could get picked up by a biz dev Absolutely. person. You can find a job. A company can find you. Like it's like, and we have heard that there are people who've come and they've checked out our games. And like, yeah, we've man. heard that like those games have been shown at events. They like were parts of like special parts of like, like a, a company's like, uh, real at like a PAX or something. Cause the big thing is like the challenge in this industry is getting opportunities to do business, getting opportunities to meet people, getting opportunities to find jobs, getting opportunities to actually talk to people in a real way. That's not like, cause I've submitted a lot of job applications over the years. I've never heard back. Mm-hmm. You never get real feedback. You submit a game to a publisher and they won't tell you anything. It's like, mm-hmm. how am I supposed to know? I might, I might not change my game, but how am I supposed to know what, what I did wrong or what didn't fit if you don't tell me? Yeah. I'm like, so like I, one of my, something I said many years ago was that information dissemination or lack thereof is one of the biggest problems in the games industry. You don't, it's so opaque. You don't know how to get a job. Everyone yep. says, here's how you get a job. Here's how you pitch. But then you pitch, you do the thing correctly. You never yeah. hear back. Or when you hear back, you don't ever, you get a form letter. And it's like, how do we get past that is like the key. And so that's what the game does with Color Expo is how do we get past it? And it's trying to, yeah, work with a smaller group of people to get them through. Because again, we're the smallest part of the industry, right? So it's like. Yo, it's, but the percentages are staggering. And yeah, man, information dissemination. Absolutely. I mean, that's a key reason that this podcast exists, right? I'm one of, I don't know how many, but you know, I'm trying to do for what I can to spread the knowledge and, and share all of our experiences because the, I guess, amalgamation of all of our experiences can hopefully be some type of fact of, Hey, these are the different ways that it works with different people. Kind of, I wish I had more time to get into how you broke in, right? Getting your foot in the door at Rockstar, the time you put in at MLB, the, the NYC game development scene, but your history, your journey is is vast and rich. You know, we only touched on a bit. I'm happy to have shared what you're up to on GDOC, where New Challenger is, where it's going, where it's growing. You talk about the intro and I'm like, my, the way I got into the games is like, is something that no one can replicate. So it's mm-hmm. like, a lot of it was luck. A lot of it always is luck. Oh yeah. A big part of it is luck, man. Like right place, right time, right? Like is the position available and are you there when they're looking for it? Right. Do you have the skills? 
uh, that they're looking for. Like some of it was luck. Some of it was nepotism. Like I got into MLB because I knew that like the teacher that I used to have, like ended mm-hmm. up at MLB, New York was small. And they said, Hey, Sean, what are you up to? And then the other people had worked at take two and rockstar. So they, they knew how shitty the environment was. So like, I could just talk to them about it and just be like, Hey, like, and we had like, you know, common ground. Yep. And, and then they had, you know, the need for somebody. So like, and they, you know, I started with like a one month contract that ended up turning into six years of working at a place. So it's Damn. like, but like, again, like most people don't get these weird instances that again, like I can't, I've not been able to get a job off an application. I've never actually gotten like off of a cold, except at rockstar rockstar. Like I got that because I applied like mad. And again, they needed what they needed. There was no HR person at the time. My old boss was the one looking at stuff. So the fact that I had a 3D thing and they needed a capture person. Yeah. And that's the problem. That's why we, that's why Game Doesn't Color exists because like there is no way to replicate how I got in and I have a hard time. I got yeah. lucky, extremely lucky, right time, right place. And that needs to not be the way it is for everybody. It can't, yep. it can't be that way for everybody. Like, you need to be able to get a job. Like even getting into like retail was right time, right place. Like, so it's like, you know, people need to be able to earn money to live. Like, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. like, they need to be able to like, how do we get the 2% of black people to be the 10%? Like if it's like 13% of America and it's still like a tiny percent then like of like black folks in America or like, how do we get more indigenous people? How do we get more Latinx people? If like, it's all luck. So like the game does a color expo is about engineering yeah situations so that people breaking new developers yeah so that you you are now in front of these people like they can't escape you we one of the tenants that we have is if you come to this event and you're a sponsor if someone hits you up about a job even if they really do not fit that job i need you to tell them that i need you to yeah, tell them in a nice way say hey man you're like this job is an environment art job you do primarily character art that is realistic this is a cartoony environment job we appreciate but if like maybe if you had a more environment stuff give it to us but usually it's just like unfortunately because of the competitive and you're like that doesn't tell anybody anything so it's like i mean that's the key thing is just like i just you know i just want the games industry to be better for everybody i accidentally found out about helping people at gdc because like you know game does color expo gave people scholarship we gave them like badges for gdc and i accidentally ended up in an like not accidentally but someone i knew on twitter who I'd never met before. I was talking to her at GEC. And then later on afterwards, it was like, thank you for GDOC Expo for giving me this badge. I was like, oh yeah, I'm just, I keep tabs on a lot of people. And I'm like, oh, it's great to see what you're doing. It's great to see. Mm-hmm. It's really exhausting, mm-hmm. but like also very fulfilling. And and then it turns out that that person was helped by my team because I'm not on that thing. I don't deal with those tickets or anything. I'll slide somebody in and be like, yeah, this person is one of our people. They need to get this badge. Like I, I advocate for people all the time that I see like a fire in them, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, mm-hmm. it's again, it's a, it's a hard industry. I feel extremely lucky to be in it. I don't want to be in it a lot of the time and it's hard. <laughs> so it's Hell like, yeah. and the it fact that I've had so many people, you know, supporting me, I'm like excited and scared and all sorts of things for the future because like, you know, NFTs are bothering me because everybody I'm worried that like, I'll run into like 10 different meetings where I could make money if I wanted to be gotta say the magic evil, word. but like, if I wanted to be a shitty person and take NFT money, but I am not that person. So it's like, like game does a color expo. We had a sponsor call. I saw on their website. Oh, we do NFTs. I said, I, I was like, yeah, we got to go. Like, they're like, is this a hard right, stop? I'm like hundred percent. Like I, you know, it's hard to have, it's hard to have things like ethics among all the stuff <laughs> in that business. I, so it's like, it's. 
reminds me of the Vince Staples line where he's like, he's like, I want to fight the power, but I need a new Ferrari. Yo. And hard. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I love Vince Staples. He's one of the most exciting, been one of the most exciting people in rap for a very long time. And, yes. uh, I'm glad that see that people are catching on to that. Yeah, man. <laughs> so I guess that, that's the good, that's the good place to end on. <laughs> Everybody yeah, should listen to Vince Staples. Everybody go, go check out some Vince Staple bars, man. Sean, I really appreciate your time. My brother, you know, there's definitely more to talk about. I look forward to seeing what comes out of new challenger, especially picking up that DLC. Final question. We usually do a whole lightning round and I ask you all these personal questions that are usually fun and exciting. But I want to be respectful of your time. I got to ask you the question of the show that I ask everybody. And it's selfish for me, right? Because it gives me a, a pool of referrals for people to interview. But if you had a good time falling out of the play area, is there anyone that you would nominate out of your circle, right? Be it a mentor, a role model, or someone you want to help me break in game dev that I can sit down and interview for the podcast. Yeah, I've been thinking about this because it's like, because there's like you got a vast network, my friend. I mean, again, like it's yeah, there's like anyone who's at Game Does a Color Expo is there because I want them there. So it's yeah. like, yeah, I got a few, uh, I got a few people lined up from that I met through Game Does of Color. So for sure, I mean, the one person that I think like, well, two people, what you got that I think you would just, well, three people who I think you y'all would get <laughs> along. Okay, I think talking to Cat Small would be really fun. She's oh. like one of the co-founders of Game Does of Color Expo for sure. And Hell she's, yeah, she's she's in tech and not in games, and like she makes games, but she doesn't do that first time. I think that's an interesting thing to, to yeah. talk about because I bring that up a lot about how like how black women are all so disrespected that like she's had a really hard time finding. You know, everyone wants people to work for free. And mm-hmm. especially black women. And that's been a lot of her experience. And also again, yeah, she founded this thing and has been, she's done a lot of great things in, in games and tech, I think. And then two people that I reconnected with in person, this at GDC was my buddy, Justin Woodward, who Justin run, Woodward. Yeah. He runs this thing called the media indie exchange. Uh, he's also a game developer with his company in Terrabang. I met him nine years ago at Evo. He was one of the, there was like a, it was a small indie table and like him and his and the dude Evan who was with him, like you know, two black dudes. I was like, they were like him and then this guy Richard Terrell. So it was like four black people at a at a game dev table of like six games or eight games or something. I was like, wow, that's that's like 50-50. Like at that point, like that was wild to me. And Justin is just a hustler in games. I think my friend Sterling McGarvey, who I've known for a similar amount of time through E3s, actually, we there was like a two year time span where both E3s we ended up at like a, a great restaurant, like afterwards. And he was in Games Press a long time ago. I was at the dinner where he started working at this company, Hit Detection, which does consulting and games, like they do like games Ooh. reading and stuff like that. I think I think I saw this on your Twitter that yeah, like yeah. He got, he's now like the, yeah, head. He's the head of it. Yeah, and Ooh. I was with him. We were eating falafel in the mission and again this is why it was like important to be there in person because like his father passed and i was able to like be there with my friend and say you know i don't understand your relationship but i understand family relationships so it was yeah. nice to be able to give a hug to your friend to console them and then also at the end we I book bookended my trip and then we, i got to sit there while he got his text saying this is when the head is stepping down and this is when you are the official person and like just be able to be like you know, I'm proud of you. Like that was, uh, oh, what was that? Was that like hugs, high fives, yeah, yeah. shoulder tap? I mean, yeah, it was just, yeah, we were just eating falafel. And I was just like, I just said, I'm proud of you. Like, you know, it's just people that on the come up 
Um, on the phone. Okay. And then also, yeah, Sterling spent you know time in New York. I don't know. Justin's from the Bay Area, and Kat's from the Bronx. So, but then All also, right. I'll say one other person like Ava. Ava Carr is a great person to talk to. Ava does a lot of like talks. Ava runs Glitch, which is like a publisher. They do a lot of tool development, but they have a huge community, yeah. and they they just do a lot of great stuff. And Glitch is definitely like a sister organization to Game Does with Colors, but we try to share as much info and yeah, just try to, we're, we're really trying to figure out how to work together better in the future. Cause we, we both announced our ticket sales going on sale, our, our submissions rather At going the same on time. happening today. So oh, it was like, shit. Okay. yeah, we were, we weren't, <laughs> and there, there's a, like their thing is they're actually having something during E3. So, you know, Ava and I are just. We're always in communication. We, you know, we have very different ways of looking at stuff. Ava also deals with a lot of like funding. And Ava gave talks at Game Does of Color Expo also. Okay. So yeah, it's like, her name's familiar. Yeah. Or they, their name. They, yeah. their name is familiar. Yeah, Thank you for that. Thank it, you for Well, it's just me. for me, it's been, I also have my own like, you know, like he, they, like I've been on a weird journey. I became a, tried to be an encyclopedia of people's pronouns. And like, it's funny because like, I, I have to correct people now when they say preferred pronouns. And I'm like, no, they're not preferred because you don't say your preferred pronoun is he. If you were assigned male as birth and that's what you identify as, that's that's not preferred. That's it's he. It's, yeah. it's so like the term preferred is like saying that you made something up or you made a preference like sexual preference. It's like, no, this is who I want. Right. It's like born in you. So like if someone so what is, do you say? Someone's, you, you just you say, say pronouns. what are your pronouns, are your pronouns? Are your pronouns? Yeah. okay it's, it's awesome. like the i'll fix that i think that's i think i'd say preferred pronouns on my little template form yeah so that's good I, for me. I actually had to like i saw i was in a meeting where somebody said something like like transgender or women and i was like no it's it's trans people trans you say people. trans men or trans women but like you know with a space also because yeah. you know, women are women i don't know there's I've been trying to be like as respectful because also like a lot of that stuff opened a lot of like meeting a lot of people on the spectrum of race, gender, everything in the games industry, which is weird because you hear that they don't exist, but I'm thankful that this is my friend group. It's like the small percentages are in my circle. And so like, it's like helped me understand who I am as a person. And so I try to just give that back to everybody and, you know, everybody slips up still and, I think that as long as, as long as you have care in your heart and you like can correct when someone says, Hey, that's, that's not me. Like somebody recently was like, I'm not a woman, but okay. And I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. I took a time and I said, my bad. bad." And they were like, and they, and they were like, yeah, but I, I, but, but they were like, and also I agree with you. And it was just like this. uh, (laughs) So it was like, you know, if I just basically was like, if I just basically got on my soapbox, then, you know, that would be. You know, you got to always have learning moments and always have to course correct. And again, like that's what the game does with Color Expo. And that's what I'm trying to do with this company. So, you know, I'm looking forward to talking again, future. Sean, man, thank you for your time. Thank you for the overtime. We'll stay in touch, my friend. Yeah. Have a great one. All right. That's a wrap. Kicking it with Sean Allen, talking about his grit and starting his own thing and that long road of making a game all by yourself, doing the pixel art and everything. Sounds like the next thing from him and New Challenger will look vastly different while still bringing that must-check-out combat gameplay. I chatted with him this week and he mentioned that he's branching out from the game devs of color into a new venture. I'm hyped to see where he takes that new time into. Please check out the show notes for links to his Game Devs of Color Expo Postmortem on Treachery and Beatdown City if you want to know more about that game. 
as well as a few of his GDC talks available on the vault and a link to that Go Straight, the ultimate guide to side-scrolling beat-em-ups book. A lot of my homies that I've met in this industry all share similar stories of having to leave their hometown to do this thing, myself included. And I'm always lurking to see how many of us get back to our hometowns with the knowledge and experience that we've acquired to see if maybe we plan to see somewhere there. I don't think I'm gonna go back to living in NYC, you know, weather and population and bang for your buck and all that, and taxes, but I'd love to go contribute to the dev scene there. But even more than that, I'd love to go back to Dominican Republic and grassroots the dev scene down there. That's really enticing to me. We'll see. We'll see. On the next episode of Out of Play Area, we'll sit down with Leon Cooperman, the CTO of Cast AI, hailing from Ukraine and having come over to the States through IBM and building various companies of his own, who looks to share his story in the podcast. He'll be the first non-strict game developer on the podcast, but nevertheless a developer who works adjacent to our industry and whose clients include or can include game developers and who appreciates the craft and games. I always encourage growth, evolution, pushing outside the lines a bit in life and on this show. So we'll see how you all feel about it. I'll be interested to see what the feedback ends up being. Make sure to follow us so that you don't miss out on that episode. Thank you for listening, Debs. If you found this episode informative, I ask that you pay a link forward to a developer to help grow our listener community. If you're a game developer with a story you think could help a fellow dev out, please go to outofplayarea.com and click on the Calendly link at the top to meet up. Please make sure you get approval from your manager or studio's PR or HR team beforehand. Out of Play Area, the Game Developers Podcast, releases new episodes every other Monday on all the major players, including Spotify, Apple, and Google. Please make sure to follow us to see what developer falls out of the play area next time. I'm your host, John Diaz. Until next time, devs, stay strong, stay true, stay dangerous. Fight attendants, prepare for takeoff. Captain crew, please take your seats. We are now about to enter the out-of-play area. If you can't reach me, I apologize. Since we out of play, I never compromise. John D, NYC, know we got the vibe. Make sure you hit that follow when you hit subscribe. Out of play area podcast. Out of play, out of play area podcast. It's just a little something for the game devs. Stay strong, stay true, and stay dangerous. Had to switch the styles for a challenge. Best thing out of Harlem since Young Miles Morales. A new podcast comes to provide the balance. With game dev veterans and rising talents. Out of play. Welcome to the Out of Play Area Podcast.